The 2021 college football season kicks off this month. If you need to stay up to date on personnel news, including injuries, suspensions, transfers, and position battles, consider becoming a Tier 2 Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash cfbwinningedge. For $15 per month, you'll receive access to our 2021 FBS team profiles, which includes daily updated depth charts, more than 10,000 individual player ratings, plus unit and coach ratings, roster strength, team performance, projected point spreads in each of our three projection models, stats, returning production, and much more. Visit patreon.com slash cfbwinningedge to join. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. Joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen at CFB Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And today we're going to be previewing the Big Ten, continuing our preview series. This is our second to last show of these. We have uh, the Big Ten left and the SEC But let's dive right in. And remember, we start alphabetical. So, you know, we're not always going to be putting the best foot forward uh, of every single conference here. And we start with Illinois, who uh, for us in our rankings comes in at 91. And last year, they followed their 2019 bowl bid with a disappointing 2-6 season that cost Lovey Smith his job, finally. Uh, They did hire Brett Bielema to replace him. Uh, So a guy with a a decent amount of experience here. Um, We have them at 4-8. and Their DK win total is three and a half. We have them favored to win four talent edges in two. So Nick, what do we think about Illinois for 2021? Well, they're, uh, you know, uh, basically cleaned house, right? The only new head coach in the big 10 moving to Brett Bielema, uh, familiar with the conference, of course, from his time at Wisconsin, but uh, it's been a little bit has uh, been away from, college football for a little while spent the last three years in the NFL uh, did some you know a consultant role in, in 2018 in New England and then has been an on-field assistant uh, at New England in, in 2019 and then with the New York Giants in uh, 2020 so it's going to be interesting to see what Bielma's time away uh, you know what sort of impact or, or influence that has on what Illinois looks like not only in, in 2021 but beyond. He of course, you know, at Arkansas, uh, there was was kind of uh, trying to play that similar, you know, Wisconsin style, big personnel, uh, run the football a lot, and and you know, they they opened it up a little bit at times, but um, it was interesting to see just sort of how the you know. The, the style of offense that he wanted to play there didn't, you know, didn't always work, had had some bright spots, of course, but ultimately didn't end up working out well for him there. But spent a couple of years in the NFL. Things are, are certainly changing offensive personnel wise in the NFL uh, from, you know, what we have seen in the past. So I'm, I'm really just sort of interested to see, you know, do we see a, a Brett Bielema style team? Um, that we're used to in, in when he was a head coach at Wisconsin, when he was a head coach at Arkansas, uh, or, you know, or the last three years when he's been coaching pro football, uh, is that going to 
influence, you know, are we going to see a different style of, of play? The coordinator hires were pretty interesting. Brought in Tony Peterson, who was the offensive coordinator at Appalachian State last year. Uh, so they, you know, certainly have a, an identity, uh, run the football, outside zone, that type of stuff, set up play action. Um, and, you know, so it's, it's going to be kind of interesting to see if that is exactly, you know, is that what the offense is going to look like? But, you know, Peterson was only at App State the one year. He was at Missouri as an analyst uh, the year prior to that and then was at East Carolina as the play caller for, you know, a, a few years before that. So I think that is sort of the big unknown. What What is Illinois going to look like, especially offensively? Defensively, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a, a pretty big change, it seems. I mean, Lovey Smith was what the cover two guy and still played that at Illinois. It, it you know, showed some promise in 2019, but last year uh, took a big, big step back. Um, and, you know, they're they're moving with uh, a, a good hire, I think. Ryan Walters, they were able to hire away, who was the defensive coordinator at Missouri the last couple of years. Um, you know, just, just uh, had some success there. So uh, Brett Bielema brought in a, a pretty good, somewhat surprising hire uh, at defensive coordinator and Ryan Walters, who had been the play caller at Missouri the last three years. It had some success there, most notably in 2019. Last season, they took a bit of a, a step back, but it's it's going to be a pretty stark philosophical change because last year, uh, Missouri played basically more man defense, according to, to PFF. They're, they're covered uh, cover one percentage, 58% was the highest in FBS and by a wide margin. So that's going to be different. We're going to have to, uh, you know, is Illinois going to be able to play that uh, style based on the, the personnel that they've got? They do have some experience, uh, you know, at corner and in the secondary three returning starters. But, you know, as we know, it's not the most talented unit in the Big Ten. Our, our roster strength ratings in the secondary have Illinois 57th overall, 11th in the Big Ten. Uh, that's as low as they rank in our conference, you know, roster strength ratings of, of any unit. So on both sides of the football, what are they going to look like? They do have some experience. They bring back Brandon Peters at quarterback, Chase Brown at running back, who had a solid uh, end of the season. The offensive line looks like a strength. So that's definitely something that Bielema can build on, you know, at Arkansas and, and at Wisconsin prior to that had those huge offensive lines. Um, so it's, it's, you know, that's a building block. I think they've got a top 50 unit there. Uh, looks like, you know, they have the personnel to run the football. It's going to be uh, interesting to see if they are going to be able to be multidimensional though. And, and Peters has a strong arm, but the, you know, the weapons at receiver, not necessarily uh, too much that excites you other than maybe a couple of guys in new spots. Isaiah Williams started some at quarterback last year is a dynamic guy with the ball in his hands. He's moved to receiver full time. Marquez Beeson, who is, is hurt right now, but uh, was a corner his first uh, couple of years on campus, but was a you know high four star 
uh, recruit coming out of Texas. Uh, he has moved to wide receiver as well. Uh, they've got, you know, some transfers coming in at, at a bunch of different spots. Jafar Armstrong from Notre Dame was a running back wide receiver guy. Uh, you know, Chase Hayden signed with Bielema at Arkansas, uh, went to East Carolina last year, didn't work out, but he's, you know, in the mix there at, at the running back position. Uh, they've got a, a transfer probably going to start on the offensive line. The back seven, they brought in several uh, power five transfers, you know, guys that they're just looking to, to build some depth and, and add a little bit of, you know, talent. Because one of the things that I think Lubby Smith really got himself in trouble with was they were, they were going really hard at those four-star guys like Beeson, like Williams, and they landed a couple of them but only, you know, here and there. And the classes were mostly, you know, really small, had to rely on the transfer portal a lot. Uh, they were not recruiting the state of Illinois very well. That's something I've seen, you know, written about uh, in multiple places this offseason, uh, that Illinois did a, a really poor job recruiting that state. And it's a state that's got more talent than people realize. It seems to be an emphasis for Bielema uh, this year. So, you know, it, it's a lot is changing at Illinois. And, you know, coming from a, a two and six season, expectations are not high uh, this year. And, and that's probably a good thing. They're going to have an opportunity, I think, to lay a foundation for the program. Uh, the, the, you know, win expectancy for us, you mentioned 4.4 wins, uh, you know, four and eight record is, is kind of our prediction. That honestly seems a little high uh, going over the three and a half. I, I don't feel, you know, super strong about that, especially since the three non-conference games are all a little bit tricky. UTSA, we talked about as a Conference USA title contender. Virginia is always tough. Charlotte can, you know, uh, can surprise some people, I think. So they do get multiple bye weeks uh, because they play Nebraska in week zero. Uh, they do get a crossover a uh, couple of, of nice crossover matchups, picking up Maryland and uh, Rutgers from the East Division. So both of those games, I think, are winnable. Um, four wins seems seems you know kind of like the ceiling, and it's it's possible because they do bring back you know a lot, and maybe they fix some of the uh, you know coaching issues that that we've seen that kind of victimized Illinois in years past. But I think this year. You know, keep expectations modest. Three wins probably seems about right. Maybe they surprise somebody and, and get to four. Uh, but I think this year is about, you know, laying a foundation and, and kind of trying to fix the, the uh, program and, and turn it into, uh, you know, a, a brighter future moving forward. And, and, you know, this is a team that I'm just going to be interested to see what they look like kind of sit back what can we learn from this year and i'm sure you know brett bieleman and his coaching staff probably have a, a similar mindset as well it's like hey got to start somewhere let's see what we've got and and then we'll uh you know look ahead to the future and, and you know it seems like they're taking that first step by uh, getting lovey out of there i mean he'd been there for a while had a little success not a lot though and people were kind of wondering when the other shoe was going to drop for him xavier and it finally did what do you think about this number for Illinois? And do you think that this is a bettable number at all? I do think it's a bettable number. I, I think you're going to see somewhat of a boost with Bielema being the head coach. Now, I think what happens in a lot of these situations, as we talked about this last uh, podcast, is when you have a new head coach come in, 
you get a boost just based off of the kids having to play better because they have to earn their roster spots. Uh, this is a common theme, obviously, with teams, uh, especially uh, in college, because, you know, there's no there's, there's no favor. There's no, you know, grace anymore. It's, well, if you don't perform, this new coach will come in and replace you. And there's a lot of that air always that comes around. So I do expect them to play better. I think uh, Nick hit on the head that this is a bad non-conference schedule for them to have uh, with that with that number. But I still think that four wins is very feasible with this team. I think three and a half is, is that perfect soft spot where if you bet over, you're not like, you know, biting your nails come week six uh, because they haven't won a game yet. I think this is a team that can win two games early on in the year. I think they might, I think they can get one over UTSA. And I think, like I said, and Charlotte, and from there, all you need is two more. I think when it comes to the Big Ten, we've seen in previous years that these early season rankings mean absolutely nothing, and that uh, in, in in season performances have definitely, you know, especially last year, kind of shifted my mindset with the Big Ten. You know, we saw Penn State as high as you know it was a top ten team last year, and it just didn't it just, it just didn't materialize. So it could go either way this year with a lot of these teams in the Big Ten, and so I think that with that being the case, that Illinois will have an opportunity to maybe pick up on a team that's down on their luck or pick up on a team that's sliding a bit um, and, and get a win there. So I think four wins is, is a bettable number. Nick hit right on the head though. It's funny, you know, you don't even have to go that far away to see how Lovey Smith was not recruiting the state of Illinois. You just yeah. have to go to twenty twenty. They didn't have a single recruit from the state of Illinois. Bielema comes in, first year, four recruits from the state of Illinois. Um, you know, and, and we kind of saw a similar type of thing happen at Kansas with Les Miles, where these guys were going for these big recruits that you know ultimately were not going to come, and then they were falling back on whatever they could just figure out. They were trying to piece it together, and ultimately it just didn't work out. Um, I think Bielema's a great hire with his knowledge in and around that area, you know, uh, Wisconsin and, and, and Illinois aren't terribly far away as far as geography goes. Um, and so I think that that's a great hire for them. I think this is a team that's trending upwards and, and Illinois can get back to, you know, a middling team or a more relevant team pr- program going into the future. Already, if you look at the recruiting trail next year, they're going, they've gone from a 73rd ranked class in 2021 that as right now in 2022, they're ranked as high as 42 in the Big Ten, they're 13th in 2021. They're ranked as high as 10th going into uh, the 2022 recruiting year. So Nick's absolutely right. This team is trending upward, and that's a good thing for Illinois. All right, let's go over to the next team here, Indiana, who we have ranked 27. And they had a great year last year, 5-1. and one. They only lost to Ohio State 42-35 to 35, uh, in Columbus. Uh, they did lose their bowl game 26-20 to Ole Miss, but uh, DK has them at 7.5 wins. We have them at eight and four. So once again, we're kind of right in line here. We have them favored to win eight. Town edges in nine, though, Nick. So uh, Indiana definitely trending in the right direction. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, we're to our second to last conference now. So it's getting to the point where uh, a lot of the teams that I'm digging into preparing for this are reminding me of other teams that we've talked about. Uh, And there's another comparison, you know, a a little bit later uh, that just kept, you know, uh, coming to mind as I was reading about them. And and the one for Indiana is, is somewhat similar to Iowa state where, you know, they've, they've really done a good job of developing players. They've, they've recruited uh, well, they've been able to to keep guys in the program pretty well. Um, They have, a lot of experience returning. And and so we're seeing, uh, you know, how that plays out in our roster strength. 
numbers, which of course use our, you know, use 247 Sports composite recruiting ratings as the first ingredient, but then we weight based on experience and career production. And so a team that we talked about recently, like Iowa State now has a top 10, you know, roster strength in the country. Well, Indiana, you know, maybe a year behind, maybe we're talking about Indiana in 2021, kind of like we were Iowa State going into 2020. Well, they've broken into the top 20. They're 18th overall in roster strength, 19th on the offensive side of the ball, uh, 14th on the defensive side of the ball. Their head coach, Tom Allen, is is really well respected. Um, he's a top 30 head coach, according to our you know, our, our head coach ratings. Um, he has, uh, you know, gotten this team to play really, really hard. They seem to uh, be the toughest out, you know, basically on, on just about anybody's schedule. Uh, they're not super flashy in, in any way. They're, you know, don't put up uh, super numbers in, in any particular category. They ranked 30th overall in team performance, uh, 75th on the offensive side of the ball, 28th defensively, but, you know, there wasn't any one particular thing that they were absolutely great at. And, and they're actually, you know, they were pretty bad at running the football. So they've even been able to overcome, uh, you know, a major deficiency where the offensive line didn't play, you know, particularly well, especially in, in the running game last year. But all five guys are coming back. They brought in uh, a transfer in Stephen Carr, who they're hoping, you know, hoping will be able to uh, kind of jumpstart the running game a little bit. They've sprinkled in uh, some transfers at some other areas of, of need. A couple of guys in the receiving core could play a big role. DJ Matthews, former uh, high, high four-star guy from Florida State. Uh, on the defensive line, an area that was, uh, you know, not as experienced as, as the back seven, not as strong as the back seven. Uh, they still rank 63rd on the defensive line in our roster strength ratings, which is their lowest ranked unit uh, on the team. Uh, but they brought in three transfers who are going to you know, be in that two deep uh, that they're going to rely on to, to, you know, play a lot of snaps. And, and so it's just, it's, it's kind of interesting to see. I mean, they've got guys like Michael Penix Jr. Who's had some injury issues, but when he's healthy is, you know, arguably uh, a, a all Big Ten type quarterback, potentially. Uh, they had, you know, uh, Ty Freifogel last year had a huge year. Walt Fillier a couple of years ago uh, had a huge year. So they're, they're getting some, you know, under the radar guys or developing, you know, people who can go out and, and make plays in the back seven. They've got some studs. I mean, linebacker Micah McFadden is a 100 rated player, according to our individual player ratings. He had 25 production points last year so that's meeting you know statistical uh, statistical benchmarks for you know tackles count a little bit but things like tackles for loss sacks uh pressures interceptions pass breakups all that good stuff those havoc plays uh he's racked up a ton of those recently taiwan mullen and jalen williams are all big 10 caliber corners uh they bring back five starters in the secondary and they add two guys who didn't play at all last year because of injuries and Marcelino McCray ball and, and Raheem Lane. So, you know, defensively, especially in the back seven, uh, they have a chance to be, you know, one of the best units in the big 10. They are, are going to play hard every week. They are going to give every team their best shot. And, and, you know, we certainly saw that last year when for a large portion of the season, they played Ohio state better than anybody else. So uh, Indiana is a, a uh, 
very good program. You know, I, I think that we just talked about Brett Bielema. He probably is looking across to Indiana and, and thinking, hey, maybe that's something we can shoot for to be that type of program. I'm sure there are a lot of programs across the country thinking that way. That said, you know, they, they do have a lot of talent edges, uh, but a lot of them are, are very, very thin. I mean, they are a three-point uh, favorite as far as our talent edge projection goes against Iowa, three points against Cincinnati, less than two points against Michigan State, two and a half points against Maryland, two and a half points against Minnesota. So yeah, they're, they're coming out on the right side of some of those, but they're, they're basically toss-ups you know, as far as those talent edge projection goes, the numbers are very, very similar in a lot of our stats only uh, model projections. I mean, three points against Purdue, less than two against Minnesota, one and a half against Michigan, uh, you know, four against Maryland. So so they're on a, a very, very tight rope. There's very little margin for error when it comes to both of those models, which do really like Indiana, respect Indiana. But, you know, they're going to have to take care of business in every game they're supposed to win. And then they are going to be, you know, fairly heavy uh, underdogs, certainly against Ohio state. They're an underdog of, of nearly double digits. Uh, they're an underdog against Cincinnati, according to our projections. They're an underdog uh, against both Penn state and Iowa. So, you know, they, they are going to be in a lot of games and, and maybe have a chance to win any game on their schedule you know, you might be able to argue that that you know maybe not Ohio State, but they do get that game at home. Ohio State has to replace a lot of players. You know, maybe played maybe them close last the year. Shot. They did. So you know, it, it, I think Indiana, maybe with the possible exception of, of the Ohio State game, but even that, you could argue, has a chance to win every game on its schedule. But you know, the way our numbers look at them, and and sort of just the way I I evaluate you know what I've seen out of Indiana. I don't know if they're quite ready yet to, uh, you know, jump up into that nine, 10 win range. We saw Iowa state kind of make that jump. And now I'm comfortable seeing, you know, thinking that's a possibility this year. It seems like maybe Indiana is one year away from that. If, if, you know, they're able to, to keep uh, the roster somewhat similarly together. Uh, but, you know, that's that's certainly possible. This is going to be a very difficult team to beat in the East. They're going to be in a lot of games. I think eight wins is uh, very, very possible. Uh, we do have eight and four as the prediction. Uh, nine wins, you know, is on the table. But, it, it you know, there are so many close matchup so many so many projections within a touchdown one way or the other six wins is also a possibility i mean they really have to avoid a letdown and and you know i'm not sure that the depth is is quite there to if some you know injuries hit again which has been an issue are they going to be able to navigate that so i like over seven and a half and and i think i you know i i like that we are on the over uh, I don't have a huge amount of confidence in it because I can I can think of a lot of scenarios where, um, you know, things just don't quite bounce their way. But this is a, a program that has you know, come a long way and, and really has developed into a strong program, a dangerous program for a lot of the, you know, quote unquote, more talented teams in the Big Ten. So I think eight wins is absolutely uh 
you know, probably the right uh, expectation and, and the possibility to get to nine is certainly there. Um, but I, you know, the, the margin for error is, is still pretty thin with Indiana. What do you think, Xavier? Because like Nick said, there's a lot of kind of toss up ish games in this schedule, but, uh, Indiana, pretty solid season last year. Schedule is a little tougher, but what do you think of Indiana for 2021? Yeah, I love the Iowa State comparison, but I feel like they're the Iowa State of maybe last year. Uh, I think Iowa State, you know, this year, I think that, and what I mean by that, I think they were a team last year that I think snuck up on a lot of people. And now they're going to have a little bit more of a, of a target on their back. And like Iowa State, they're going to need an in-season win over one of their, you know, uh, over a big team to possibly get to the championship game, kind of like what Iowa State was able to do against Oklahoma last year. Um and so I, that's what I'm looking for from Indiana this year. It is a team that I, I think snuck up on a lot of teams. Also got, I won't say got lucky, but definitely hit teams at the right time. I think they they got Penn State, you know, when they were reeling. I think that they were able to definitely benefit from a down year in the rest of the Big Ten. And so I think this year they come in with a little bit of higher expectations. Uh, their season really is made in the first five weeks. I mean, I don't think I, I, I can say that about many teams in college football, but when you play three ranked teams before your first bye week, uh, and that's three of your first five, that, that, that can really make or break your year. You know, you get at Iowa, Cincinnati, and, and uh, at Penn State. If they go one and two in those three games, you know, the there goes the steam at the very least. And, you know, then you're really hoping that you go perfect down the stretch. And I, I don't see that happening, obviously, with them playing Ohio State. And we don't really know what could happen from an, uh, a Michigan team or, or a Minnesota down the stretch either. So I I like it. I like Indiana. I love what they did in the transfer portal. I'm a big DJ Matthews guy. I also love Stephen Carr. I love. I think both of those guys are going to be instant impact uh, for them. On top of the fact that Ty Freifogel, one of the best receivers, one of the most underrated receivers in college football, love Peyton Hendershot. You know, Michael Penix is going to have a litany of of place people to go to this year. So I think from that perspective, they're going to be really good at the skill positions. Nick hit it right on the head, though. This team obviously comes down to whether or not the offensive line can hold up all year. Uh, that was a bit of a struggle for them last year. Michael Penix obviously looked like Michael Vick at times in some of those games. Uh, you know, having to use his feet maybe probably more than the than this coaching staff would have liked for him to do. Um, so I think Indiana is a team that can win eight games. I think eight games. I think this is a bettable number because I think that they're better than you know when when we look at their schedule. I think outside of Iowa, Cincinnati, Penn State, and Ohio State. I think they can run the table with the rest of that. I think those are your four toss-up games. If that's, you know, you know, simple math, 12 minus four equals eight. So I think at that point, you know, I think I'm giving them eight guaranteed wins on that schedule. I don't think that they'll slip up against any of their uh, of the more middle teams like a Minnesota, like a uh, like a Purdue, like a Rutgers. I don't think that that's an opportunity for them to slip up, especially if, at the time of the year that it is, with it being in November and with obviously bowl season and conference, uh, you know, tournament being right around the corner. I don't think those are games in which they would slip up at all. I don't see them as trap games. Uh, so I think this is a team that goes eight wins. I really love what they're doing. And Indiana is getting much better on the recruiting trail. You know, this is a team that next year, as of right now, in 2022, has a top 25 class. Uh, you know, that's that's up from 54th in 2021. In the Big Ten alone, they're going from 12th to 6th. Uh, currently speaking in 2022. So this is a team, and, and Tom Allen is definitely using this momentum and, and definitely putting it into the recruiting trail. I mean, just this past year in 2021, they were able to get a four-star wide receiver out of the state of Georgia. That should speak to how good that they're getting on the recruiting trail um, at one of the bigger high schools in the state of Georgia. So it's not like they found a hidden gym. Uh, Westlake High School is one of the best high schools in the state. Uh, so they're getting better on the recruiting trail. And this is definitely a team that if some of your if some of your bigger teams in the conference don't you know get it right this year, like a Penn State, 
like a Michigan, Indiana could find themselves in that top three or four teams in the next couple of years in the Big Ten. All right, let's go over to Iowa, who we have ranked a little higher than Indiana at 20. Uh, they started 0-2 last year, losing to Purdue and Northwestern by a combined seven points, but then they did rack up six straight wins to close the regular season. Uh, DK has them uh, as eight and a half. We've got them nine and three. Favored to win 10, but only talent edges in five, which is probably the most Iowa thing that I have seen here. Uh, you know, uh, just a team that wins many games that you don't expect them to, and they're always solid, Nick, and I don't see any of that changing for 2021, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Iowa spent a large portion of the offseason as our highest-ranked Big Ten West team. Uh, they were neck and neck, still are, with, with Wisconsin. Uh, but for a large part, until our most recent update, they were you know, just slightly ahead of, of Wisconsin in our power rankings, top 20 in our power rankings, which is pretty remarkable uh, you know, when you look at those talent numbers. They're 82nd overall in roster strength, 81st on the offensive side of the ball, 83rd defensively, and, and talent and those roster strength ratings are the biggest piece of our power rating formula. So for them to, you know, be a top 20 team, be one of the, you know, three highest ranked teams in the Big Ten in our rankings, uh, they have to play incredibly well and be, you know, put up great numbers uh, in coaching ratings and things like that. Kurt Ferentz is ninth in our head coaching ratings. Uh, Phil Parker, their defensive coordinator, second in our DC ratings. So, you know, they've they've just been absolutely uh, a solid, solid team in, in years past. They ranked 15th overall in team performance last year. Their three-year weighted average is eighth in team performance. Their five-year weighted average is ninth. So, you know, over the last five years in that window, they've been a top 10 caliber team on the field. They just haven't always had the most talented players, and they don't always do it, you know, in, in the most visibly, visibly appealing way. I mean, it's, it's you know, old school, run the football, play solid defense, try to win close, and they've been able – to do it, but, but, you know, putting up really, really solid defensive numbers. They were second in defensive team performance last year, uh, sixth against the pass, 10 against the run. So a top 10 defense in, in both phases, just a, a really, really impressive performance on the field. And, and, you know, they've got some talented players sprinkled in Tyler Goodson, uh, uh, running back is one of my favorite uh, running backs in the country. Uh, I, you know, think that, if they really, really just decided to feed him uh, and Iowa, you know, gets to 10, 11 wins and, and can win the Big Ten West, I think Goodson could, you know, be in the Heisman conversation. I don't think that's a, a crazy thing to say. Uh, they do bring back uh, Spencer Petrus, who was, uh, uh, you know, starting quarterback last year as a sophomore, uh, got, you know, got some experience, started eight games, 500 snaps. He's Built like an Iowa quarterback, 6'5", 230, um, not super flashy, but, you know, did a good enough job last year, especially after those first two games of, of putting Iowa in a position to win a lot of games. Uh, they bring back two starters at receiver. You know, they did lose their most dynamic player, probably their their top two dynamic receivers in, in Amir Smith-Marset, who was drafted in the fifth round, and then uh, Brandon Smith, who was an undrafted free agent. 
but there's, you know, there's still a little bit of playmaking ability there. I know some people are excited about Tyrone Tracy Jr., uh, specifically Sam Laporta. I mean, you know, at tight end, Iowa has a great track record of, of producing tight ends, and, and he's certainly somebody that can contribute in the passing game. The offensive line, they have to replace both centers, or excuse me, both tackles, but their interior is solid and their center, Tyler Lindenbaum, is arguably you know the best center in the country, certainly an all-American candidate. The defensive line is is the real, I think, question mark. They only bring back one, you know, full-time starter. Only one player had over 200 snaps uh, on that defensive line last year, and that's Zach. Van, Van, uh, Van Valkenburg, but they have a couple of guys who, who did flash. Yaya Black is somebody who, you know, could be that next defensive tackle out of nowhere, kind of like Davion Nixon was. I mean, he's somebody that I know some NFL scouts are, are really excited about his physical tools. Joe Evans is somebody who's been disruptive as a pass rusher. Not sure if he's actually even going to start, but he's somebody that can, uh, you know, get after the quarterback. So uh, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how it all plays out. But Iowa, again, kind of like they do on the offensive line, finds a way to uh, find or develop solid, you know, defensive linemen. So, so I think we're still going to get top 30 type, you know, defensive line play out of Iowa, even if there's only one name that, that, you know, was in the starting lineup most of last year. The back seven should be solid. I mean, Jack Campbell didn't start at linebacker last year, but he's, you know, all Big Ten first-team caliber player. Uh, the entire secondary returns and what was one of the best units in college football last year. They uh, did a great job limiting explosive plays. Uh, again, nobody's, you know, a, a just standout physical specimen necessarily they're going to have fifth year or sixth year senior uh corners out there guys who took their extra year of eligibility and matt hankins and, and riley moss but you know all three safeties return they brought in uh xavier williams from northern iowa who was a solid player at the fcs level so the secondary even though you know it only ranks 80 uh, or excuse me 65th in our talent ratings you know i've seen written in multiple multiple magazines, the PFF uh, magazine, that they're considering this one of the top five defensive back units in the country. So again, our, our roster numbers don't necessarily capture that, but you know, look at those team performance numbers. They're, they're putting up elite defensive numbers year after year, so you would expect that they're going to be you know fundamentally sound, they're going to be schematically sound, they're going to play just solid defense again, and then probably feed Tyler Goodson, you know, try to take a shot every once in a while to Tracy, find Sam Laporta on third down, and, and you know, just find a way to, to uh, win close games. So our, our model was, was uh, you know, designed in a way that, that we wanted to take coaching and development and things like that into account, and that's, that's really kind of tough to do. But teams like Iowa are, are why we wanted to do that. And so far, at least in the last three years, our model's been, you know, right much more often than not on Iowa. I've, I've really, really been proud of how we've, uh, you know, done projecting Iowa year after year. I, I you know, you can't be right on, on the same team every year. So it makes me a little bit nervous that they're a top 20 team with these roster strength numbers. 
but the, the track record is, is good enough that I tend to, you know, look at that uh, stats only model, which has them favored in every regular season game. And then, you know, double digits uh, favored in, in our official, you know, uh, team strength uh, power rating model. So there are some close calls, somewhat like, you know, we were just talking about with Indiana, but Iowa, you know, I, I kind of think at this point has earned the benefit of the doubt. So I think over eight and a half, again, is is where I, I would want us to be. I would want us to be on that side rather than the uh, rather than the under. I think this is a team that could perhaps, uh, you know, that that rivalry game against Iowa State, even though they're an underdog there. That is a certainly a winnable game. They're an underdog against Wisconsin. That's certainly a winnable game. There's nobody on the schedule that that they just don't have a chance against. So ten wins is absolutely a possibility. Uh, they you know struggled getting out of the gate last season. Are they going to do that sort of thing again, or are they the team that carried that momentum of six wins into the off season? You know that that sort of remains to be seen because it's a tough start to the schedule with Indiana in week one and Iowa State in week two. Even Kent State is going to challenge them potentially as, as one of the more explosive offenses in the country. Uh, but they miss Ohio State in the crossover, do have to play Penn State, but the schedule sets up pretty well. Uh, just that trip to Wisconsin is, is, you know, you would rather maybe have that game at home. But again, you know, not a not an unwinnable game by any stretch. So I think over eight and a half is the right uh, side to be on. And, and I think this is a, you know, 10 win team potentially. And, and certainly, if not the favorite, because they do have to go to Madison, Wisconsin's biggest obstacle, uh, I think, to winning uh, the Big Ten West. And Xavier, what do you think? Because like Nick said, this schedule pretty damn favorable for them. You know, uh, it, it looks pretty solid for them. And uh, I think this is probably a bettable n- uh, number on the over, right? I mean, yeah, they don't have to leave the state of Iowa until October. Their first four games are all technically in the state of Iowa. You know, yes, my kind of schedule. <laughs> they all got to come see me. I don't have to go anywhere. I like it. You know, uh, I do have to go to Iowa State, but hey, still in the state of Iowa. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I like their scheduling. Obviously, I wish they didn't have Indiana and Iowa to start the in Iowa State, excuse me, to start the year off. I feel like when you're talking about a quarterback coming into a year where he's going to have to really, you know, take that next step for this team to get to that, you know, to, to get to the, the Big Ten Conference Championship. Then you're expecting, you know, you, you may want him to to get in to be able to get that confidence earlier on, you know, build the confidence up before you maybe play a big game. Uh, but he's gonna be thrown into the fire, you know. Um, and he's gonna have to really play better, you know. His numbers, Nick's absolutely right. Six five, two thirty three. He's a big guy. Uh, you know, he's a game manager for the most part. You know, his numbers speak for themselves. Fifteen hundred yards, nine touchdowns, five interceptions. Uh, you know, thirty-two attempts on the ground last year. You know, uh, pretty much what you expect from an Iowa quarterback for the most part. He's going to have to become a double-digit quarter, uh, double-digit touchdown kind of guy for them to see a Big Ten championship this year, in my opinion. Um, obviously, if he continues in a single-digit interception-wise, that's perfectly fine. Uh, I think for 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 me, he's going to struggle uh, just you know not having the same amount of talent on the outside that he had last year that's going to be something that he has to grip uh that he has to come to grips with and i think that that may be one of the reasons why i don't have them favored against an iowa state early on in the year why, why i think they'll fall there and maybe two in indiana yes they get that game at home um 
but maybe just because I don't necessarily trust him in those bigger games where they are going to be able to put, you know, eight in the box and force him to throw the football. Is he going to be able to do so? I will say, Nick, you know, we talk about how Iowa maybe doesn't have the talent, but on the recruiting trail, it's a little weird. I didn't expect this when I was looking them up. You know, they ranked 24th in the country last year in recruiting. Mm-hmm. You know, they uh, they finished seventh in the Big Ten, and they've been a top 40 team recruiting-wise for the last three years. And so I, I was a little I, – I, not a little. I was a lot of surprised that Iowa brings in that kind of talent uh, on, a, on a year-to-year basis simply because when we talk about Iowa, we talk about a team that always is, you know, the gritty. They win ugly. They win in between the tackles, you know, and you don't necessarily expect them to bring in necessarily, you know, top tier talent. Uh, and, and especially when they're bringing in four star athletes, that took me by complete surprise. I was like, I, I did not expect four star athletes to want to go to Iowa with the way that they play football. But I think that speaks to, you know, winning kind of cures all. And, you know, Iowa wins regardless of how they play. They put W's on the board. And I think that that they put guys in the NFL. Yeah, That's they bad. really do. Uh, and so I think, you know, moving forward, I think, you know, when it comes to that talent edge, I think maybe that, that gap will close a little bit for Iowa. I know we say we don't have them, you know, favored in five as far as far as talent edge is concerned. I think that gap might close a bit uh, because Iowa's definitely starting to bring in more talent and more kids are being comfortable going to Iowa and staying in the state of Iowa. You know, they, they are staying in, at Iowa. You know, they brought in in that recruiting class last year or excuse me, this year, that was 24th. Ten of the recruits that they brought in are from the state of Iowa. So I think that, you know, Maybe the talent in the state of Iowa is getting better, and that's obviously going to help them out as they and Iowa State compete for recruits. But hey, they're bringing in talent, and I don't see why they can't, you know, keep this train rolling. I think eight and a half is a little bit too rich for my blood. Maybe I will be more comfortable with an eight number because I I do think with the way that they play, they lend themselves more susceptible to being upset if their offense isn't clicking for a day. You know, they could, they're very, you know, susceptible to having a game where they put up 13 to 16 points and that's it. And if their defense doesn't come to play that night and the, you know, the opposing offense, you know, whether it's a, at, you know, an at Northwestern, or even Minnesota, if they do, I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's just one of those types of offenses that isn't uber explosive so it can end up in a situation where they lose a game that they're not supposed to so i would be more comfortable with eight uh, so i would bet the under on them all right let's go over to next team up number 55 ranked by us maryland uh and they were hot and cold last year in a two and three season they lost 43 to three to northwestern in the opener then they beat minnesota and penn state and then lost to indiana and rutgers so some big wins some weird losses in there i mean how do you beat penn state and lose to rutgers but that is how Maryland is. I know I've seen them beat my Longhorns twice. So uh, they are a very up and down team. They're very proud of their weird helmets. Uh, their DK total uh, we uh, is five and a half. We have them at six and six. Uh, favorite to win four, but town edges in six. So uh, go ahead and try to predict Maryland season, Nick. That should be fun. Yeah, I think I think Maryland has the widest range of possible outcomes in the Big Ten. Uh, they, you know, could absolutely put it all together with the recruiting that they've, you know, done in, in recent years. Uh, it, it's been pretty incredible to watch. They've got a very very talented roster. I mean, the roster strength numbers aren't maybe quite in line with the uh, recruiting classes because we haven't seen a whole lot of production just yet and some of the most talented players are pretty young and and we do wait for experience and and production so they're only 63rd overall in roster strength similar you know 59th on offense 68th defensively but they had a top 25 class last year top 
35 class the year before, had a transition class when Mike Loxley took over uh, in 2019 and, and or, or, you know, uh, just just uh, uh, obviously had a bump in the road there, but then had, you know, top 30 classes the two years prior to that. So this is a talented roster. They've certainly lost a lot of guys to the transfer portal the, the last couple of years after the coaching change. So, you know, that's part of it as well. But this is a this is a pretty talented team. There are, you know, not a whole lot of, of real, real weak spots when you just look at the starters. Uh, but they're a team that just hasn't quite been able to put it together. And they certainly have not been consistent, as you mentioned. I mean, they had a you know, 1% post-game win expectancy in that uh, opener against Northwestern, got blown out by 40, uh, and then two weeks later put together their best performance of the season, had a 99% post-game win expectancy uh, in a, you know, two-touchdown victory over Penn State. So it, it's it's really tricky to, to to put your finger on Maryland and again, you know, making a comparison to some other teams that we talked about, the the one that keeps coming to mind is North Carolina before Mac Brown got there. Uh two years ago, our our projections really I mean, I like, love that comparison. I just gotta say I love that comparison. It makes <laughs> a lot of sense. I mean, it, it, you know, the, the recruiting numbers are somewhat similar. It's a talented team, but they just haven't won a lot. They just haven't, you know, been very consistent on the field. And, and there's definitely plenty of chatter uh, in a lot of the stuff you read and, and some other things that you might see about how this is a, you know, Maryland is a recruit first I believe this was specifically one of those anonymous quotes in, in the Athlon magazine, but uh, a recruit first, everything second program. And that that helps when you're trying to, you know, raise the talent level, when you're trying to, uh, you know, raise the floor of what your program can be. But if, you know, and Mike Loxley has, has been a, a great coach before. I mean, when, we, when he was at Alabama, they were – you know, just just clicking on all cylinders offensively. He was part of that process from Alabama being a, you know, good offense to being a juggernaut offense. And and now he's, you know, back in control of, of his own program. And and I'm sure, you know, the the coaching staff there is is got a lot of talent, very, very talented uh set of coaches, know what they're doing, but they just haven't quite been able to get the the talent numbers to quite line up with the on-field results. And last year, you know, overall, they were 60th in team performance, 64th offensively, 60 defensively, just, you know, toward the toward the bottom of the Power Five. Uh, they're 55th in our power ratings, 10th in the Big Ten. But there, you can see potential. You can see a path to uh, more of those Penn State-type wins because, you know, Talia Tonga-Vailoa, really flashed at times he's got a an incredibly strong arm uh made some questionable decision uh decisions at times and there again were some you know anonymous coaches talking about how uh when you gave him different looks he was you know would get flustered and and uh you could potentially uh put him in uncomfortable situations and have him make mistakes and that certainly happened they turned the ball over far too often last year but He's got some talented players to work with. 
you know, Dante Dimas is, is a solid receiver. Rakeem Jarrett was a five-star uh, in the 2019 class, and, and he, you know, only played four games, but flashed that five-star talent uh, at times last year. They did a, a great, great job recruiting defensive players this this past season. And, and you know, they've got a lot of work to, to uh, do on the defensive side of the ball, especially stopping the run. They were 97th in our rushing team performance. I saw something in the PFF guide. I think they were 118th in uh, yards per carry before contact. So they're getting, you know, uh, just pushed around up front. But this year, you know, two uh, really, really highly rated linebackers. Terrence Lewis was a five-star, so they've got five stars in back-to-back classes. They brought in a, an edge uh, defender and in, in Demirian Robinson, who was, uh, you know, very, very close to a five-star, three interior defensive linemen uh, rated uh, 88 or above. So they're, they're, you know, going after talented guys. They just haven't quite gotten to the point where they can say, all right, we can match up with you know, at least that mid to, to second tier, uh, everybody before uh, Ohio State in the Big Ten, but they just haven't been able to put it quite together consistently to challenge those teams, you know, week in and week out to really climb up the standing. So Maryland is a team that, you know, looking at the schedule, a lot of winnable games, all three non-conference games are winnable. They are a slight underdog against West Virginia, but they play Illinois to start. Big Ten play, a 4-0 start is not out of the realm of possibility. And then you have Iowa and Ohio State. Going to be pretty big underdogs there, but at least then you get a, a break, get the bye week. And then the second half of the schedule, you know, it's it could it could really line up for them to make a run at something like seven, eight wins. That's that's not crazy. But they might also lose to West Virginia if they don't, you know, have uh, a little more consistency. Who's to say Illinois, if they can cut down on the mistakes that they've made and, and uh, just sort of simplify things a little bit. <laughs> Illinois might be able to knock off Maryland. Kent State, one of the best offenses in the country last year. You know, that could be a 51-48 game where Kent State knocks them off. So, you know, you could see, all right, you know, maybe maybe 4 O's possible you know you go to four and two and then have a chance uh in the second half of the season to to really make a run but hey maybe you know maybe two and four is also possible maybe they're going to be in a position to lose a lot of coin flips in the second half of the season you know minnesota yeah beatable but but we don't have maryland favored same with indiana same with penn state same even with michigan state they're kind of on a similar level there so i could see Eight wins for Maryland. I could see four wins for Maryland. And, and you might be able to talk me into one additional win or loss on, on both sides of that. So very, very difficult team to project. Our model likes uh, the schedule, kind of how it sets up, especially early on. Likes the talent that that Mike Loxley has uh, you know, put together here. So we do, again, you know, side on the over, but different to to how I felt about Indiana and Iowa. I, I think I wish we were on the under. I think I wish that our projection was five and seven instead of six and six because I just don't trust Maryland. Like I, I definitely trust Iowa, and like I'm really starting to trust Indiana. So I, I think we could 
potentially see a breakout season from Maryland, but I'm not, I'm not ready to bet on it. And I'm not ready to trust them quite yet. So I wish we were on the under, but you know, five and a half is a good number. Obviously we're at 5.67. But I, I wish we were on five instead of six, but Hey, Maybe, maybe they can get over the hump, start playing, you know, putting it together on the field and, and get to a bowl game. It's certainly within the realm of possibility. So, Xavier, I mean, you know, uh, I, I was kind of laughing in the middle of that because Nick was like, maybe they start four and two. Maybe they start four, uh, uh, two and four. Maybe they go right. three and three, you know. And that's kind of what I said walking into Maryland is, is they're just so unpredictable. You know, there's a lot of talent on this team but they uh, barely ever live up to it. So, yes. uh, you know, it, it's um, it's one of those things that they usually play a tougher schedule uh, or not not necessarily a tougher schedule, but just, you know, they're not going to be favored in many games. That's yeah. kind of the case here again, but we have them floating right around 500, 500, which makes them the most predictable Maryland has ever been. So what do you think of them for 2021? Yeah, Maryland is one of the weirder teams in college football. And not only because of how much, you know, how, how we both feel, everybody feels, I think, that they could easily go three and nine or six and six slash seven and five. But it's also because they recruit so well. They bring in so much talent. You know, before I get into the schedule, just to give uh, our listeners, listeners an idea, in the 2021 class, they finished 18th in the country. They finished fourth in the Big Ten. They brought in a five-star, the best linebacker in the country. Like, this is a team, you know, this is a school that brings in ridiculous amounts of talent, and and they recruit in states like Florida really well. And and so it's like, okay, all that put together, you know, and and this has been a consistent thing. You know, last year they finished 31st. And you say all of these things, and Nick very well just said that this team could end up 4-8, and, and, you know, none of that talent matters whatsoever. I think when you look at the schedule, first off, you have to talk about the fact that they drew all of the ranked teams in the Big Ten, I believe, uh, this year. So I think that that's a, obviously a net negative for them, having to play Iowa, Ohio State, Indiana, and Penn State. Now, granted, they get three out of those four games at home, so who knows? They may be able to pull off an upset. Wouldn't put it past Maryland to do so. Uh, however, like Nick said, this is a team that could lose to West Virginia week one, uh, could somehow slip up against Illinois and, and Kent State. You know, their offense could get the better of them in a shootout. You know, Maryland's susceptible to a shootout at least once a year where it's like 56-48 at some point in that ballgame. Uh, I'm looking for a better year two or, excuse me, uh, year three from Talia Tagovailoa. He's got to take that next step. You know, I, he had too many games where he was up here and then hit the in and then came down to the basement uh, the very next game. And I think that that's just a consistency issue. Uh, I think he gets better with that with time and experience. So I expect him to be better this year. Um, I expect them to be, you know, just a, a more well-rounded offense that wouldn't have games that they, you know, they would go out and, and, and have a 35 point plus game. And then they would drop, you know, 20 the very next game. So I, I expect more consistency from them. And if I can get, if they can get more consistency out of the quarterback play, this is a team that can get to six wins. Absolutely. Uh, I think they can, I want to say they can win their first four. I really do. <laughs> I really do. I want to, because when you look at it, it's West Virginia, Howard, please. at Illinois, and then Kent State. You know, they get three of the first four games at home, and then their one away game is against Illinois. They should handle business. They should handle that and be 4-0 by that point, you know, and have an opportunity at the very least to get to six wins. I just don't know. I just don't know if they'll be able to do so. Um, I'm going to go under just to be safe because it's Maryland. And I, I don't think you bet on a team that you're not comfortable in, uh, especially when you're talking about a team like Maryland that has all the talent in the world, but 
can't seem to put it together for some reason. Um, you know, and maybe they'll prove me wrong this year. Maybe this is a year that they'll have a breakout like Indiana did last season. So that's what I'm hoping for for Maryland, but I, I would bet the under uh, going into this year for them. All right, let's switch gears and move it on over to Michigan, who we have ranked uh, higher than Maryland, but not as high as Indiana or Iowa at 35. And there's not a lot of positives to say about their two and four season last year. Uh, they uh, had a win over Minnesota, 49 to 24. Uh, but then only an overtime win against Rutgers saved a 0-5 finish. So uh, not great from them. Uh, Harbaugh, surprisingly to Xavier and I, still the coach at Michigan. Uh, but we got a DK total here of 7.5 for them. Uh, we have them at 7-5, and five, favorite to win 7. Talent edges in 10 because, of course, they're accrued well every year. But... Uh, it's been rough go for Michigan the last few years, Nick. Do we see that improving in 2021? So our our model, you know, I, I always sort of refer to how our uh, numbers see certain teams. Michigan is kind of the opposite of, of Iowa, where for a long time, the talent numbers really propped them up and, and Michigan almost without, you know, having to do anything on the field would have been a top 20 type team. But uh, one, the, the talent numbers have fallen slightly and, and, you know, recruiting classes right on the edge of the top 10 instead of uh, some consistent top 10 numbers from, from 2016 to 2019. But, you know, they're, they're losing a lot of players still to the NFL. They've had uh, quite a few players in her, the transfer portal, you know, according to our uh, numbers, we have 14 players listed in our FBS team profiles who entered the transfer portal. And that actually doesn't include uh, Xavier Worthy, who signed with Michigan and, and ended up enrolling at uh, Texas. And right now is is apparently lighting it up. One of the, the most impressive freshmen uh, so far in, in fall camp across the country. Texas so, version of Devontae Smith right there. There you go. Uh, but so, you know, Michigan is is in uh, moving in the wrong direction. And, and a little bit of it is the recruiting numbers, but a lot of it is not winning enough football games. A lot of it is uh, losing some of those really highly rated players after three years to the NFL uh, where they go on and, and you know, in some cases – live up to that potential where they weren't quite maybe doing it at, at Michigan uh, and then losing some talented guys in the transfer portal as well. So roster strength numbers are, are moving, you know, in a, in a moving in the wrong direction. They're 47th overall 70th in offensive roster strength. Part of that is the quarterback position. They've recruited well, and, you know, their top three guys on our depth charts uh, are 17th in the average two, four, seven rating across the country, but, you know, Cade McNamara, McNamara is a uh, sophomore. Don Valari is a redshirt freshman. J.J. McCarthy, five-star guy, but is a true freshman. So it's, you know, a lot of inexperience there. Uh, the the running back position, which doesn't, you know, certainly counts less than, than other positions in our calculations on the offensive side of the ball, but not a, a superstar, uh, you know, a former five-star type guy really in the mix. Hassan Hankins was a three-star guy, and he's uh, kind of the co-starter right now, it sounds like, with Blake Corum. They did bring in a couple of really talented true freshmen, but again, 
true freshmen. So their most talented guys, it seems, especially on the offensive side of the ball, are very, very young. So our roster strength numbers, you know, can't really wait for uh, experience yet. And they haven't earned any production yet. Uh, the wide receiver core is consistently uh, been a bit of an underachiever on paper. It's one of the top 15 units in the country, just in pure, uh, you know, talent ratings from 247 sports, but they haven't been productive. And, and you know, our roster shrink numbers uh, on the other side of it, they rank 49th at our, our wide receiver and tight end group. The skill positions, offensive skill positions for Michigan ranked 81st nationally. And that's just not, you know, what we expect from Michigan, even, you know, when they uh, have been disappointing in the past and, and not, you know, not beating Ohio State, not competing uh, for Big Ten East championships, they still had top 25 skill talent, uh, usually, according to our numbers. But those numbers have, have really fallen quite a bit. Uh, so it's it's getting to the point where it's not just on the field. It's actually uh, the talent on hand is is a little bit of an issue as well. And they've got a lot of talent edges. I mean, 10 talent edges, but the numbers are getting much, much closer. The talent edge against uh, Washington is less than one point. Uh, that that uh, I just want to say that that number is like the opposite of Iowa, right? Where they yeah. don't have talent edges. They only have them in five, but you don't expect them to win or you expect them to win more games. It's the opposite for Michigan. Absolutely. Absolutely. And some of these are, are probably getting close to flipping pretty soon. Wisconsin's on an upward trajectory uh, with their recruiting. So that talent edge right now, Michigan still has it, has the quote unquote most talent, you know, more talented team on the field. Uh, but it's only 3.8 points in, in talent edges. Uh, you know, they're, they're now in single digits against Indiana. You would think if talent were the only factor in those two programs, you would expect Michigan probably, or at least I would, to be a double-digit favorite, maybe a two-touchdown favorite. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a little bit of a concern. But if they hit on some of these young guys, really, really talented guys, if J.J. McCarthy steps up and, and you know, takes over the program, is, is the next great Michigan quarterback, if Donovan Edwards, uh, you know, is, is playing at a five-star level uh, at running back, then they're certainly, you know, have the potential to, to get back there. But defensively last year, they kind of fell apart. They were 67th in team performance defensively, 69th against the pass, 58th against the run. It cost Don Brown his job. They were just too aggressive, ranked among the national leaders in blitz and, and you know, playing man coverage and, and things like that. And you would think, all right, they're, they're probably going to, you know, change uh, philosophically, but not really. I mean, they they hired uh, an NFL guy, Mike McDonald, from the Baltimore Ravens, and the Baltimore Ravens, you know, ranked among the the NFL leaders again according to PFF in playing man coverage and blitz percentage. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see do they stick with that same philosophy that's you know gotten them uh, burnt more often than not you know recent years. Uh, are they going to be able to you know? play better up front with guys like Aiden Hutchinson, fully healthy, Donovan Jeter, uh, you know, Mazzie Smith. I mean, they've got talented guys, but they just haven't quite been able to, you know, put it all together on the field. So I've got questions about Michigan. The non-conference schedule is very, very tricky. All three 
games are at home, but that Washington game, we have Washington is, is about a you know touchdown favorite. That Western Michigan game is going to be pretty tough. Uh, we only have Michigan favored by, you know, a little less than 10 points. So it's going to be, it's going to be tricky. It's, it's going to be tough. And right now, I mean, I know you guys gave up on, on trusting Michigan a long time ago. <laughs> Our numbers are finally catching up to that a little bit. And, and I personally am, am uh, you know, really just coming around to, man, they seem, there seem to be more questions than answers. So I could see a path to Michigan getting back to respectability. A lot of it, uh, you know, kind of hinges on those super talented, you know, young freshman uh, offensive players. But, you know, the, the they're going to have to pull off some upsets to get to eight wins, nine wins uh, in, in that range. So it's, uh, it's hard to trust Michigan right now. And, and so, you know, we have 6.7 wins uh, expected on average. That seems incredibly low, but we're on the under, you know, seven and a half. And, and I think that's where I would want to be. I, I just don't trust what I've seen from Michigan the last couple of years. I don't like the way the program seems to be trending from a talent perspective. And, you know, unless this complete defensive revamp of the coaching staff where they got a lot younger, got some NFL guys in there, unless that, you know, really turns around, uh, this absolutely could be a 500 type team. And, and that doesn't, uh, bode very well for, you know, for Jim Harbaugh's future there. Xavier, when was the last time you heard the Western Michigan game could be tough for Michigan? I just don't know if I've ever heard that sentence spoken before. And Nick just said it, and it's the truth. It, Michigan is on the struggle bus right now. You and I both think, don't think that Harbaugh should be uh, the coach of this team anymore, but he is, and uh, they still have a ton of talent. So there's still time. As long as he's drawing breath as a Michigan coach, there's time for him to turn <laughs> around because this team is talented. But yeah. uh, I just don't trust them to do it. So if I had to bet anything, it'd be the under. But I don't want to mess with this number at all. It seems pretty right. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm staying far away from this number. But I will be bringing my khaki pants to the khaki pants burning ceremony at the end of the year. I got them. I'll bring them in my large. Are you going month. to Ann Arbor, too, for that? Oh, I, you got to be there to, to see khaki pants get burned in effigy. Come on, man. That's a great time. <laughs> That's a great time. Uh, yeah, but no, I would not touch this Michigan number whatsoever. Seven and a half for me is a little bit, it's way too rich for my blood with a team that I just don't know. You know, I, all the talent in the world does not matter with this team. We, they've shown it the last, you showed it last year, obviously, and it just doesn't seem like they have it all together. Uh, with the coaching staff, you know, we obviously saw what happened. We talked about it on the podcast. What happened with uh, uh, Dylan McCaffrey earlier on in the off season, uh, with that whole back and forth uh, on Twitter uh, after he after him leaving Michigan. Then the fan base looked completely split in half when they decided to go with K McNamara at, at the beginning of this year. Um, it didn't seem like that was you know a a for sure choice, but they named him the starting quarterback, even though a lot of people felt like JJ McCarthy had outplayed him in the spring. It was it's a lot. I, I just don't think that this team right now has any kind of real continuity and that lack of continuity tells it, it you know, really makes me shy away from having any confidence in what this team is going to do this year. I just feel like there's too many hands in the pot right now and not enough people understand what's really going on at Michigan. With that being said, obviously with the talent on display, this is a team that should still win at 
bare minimum, seven games. Uh, I, I do think, you know, the, the Washington game is going to be a difficult one. Uh, I do, you know, I, I think obviously going to Camp Randall is not going to be easy. I'm not going to say too much about Nebraska because I feel like every year we get too excited. I, we get too excited about Nebraska. Literally, they got the last some stuff going years. on too. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I'm not willing to just be like, yeah, they might lose to Nebraska. Uh, you know, Northwestern coming to Michigan uh, is never an easy game. Northwestern always play. You know, you never can really tell what Northwestern is going to be until they are that thing in the season. Uh, you know, this is a team that can easily go three and nine, or you know, all of a sudden be competing for the uh, Big, Big Ten championship game. So. I just I, and obviously playing three at the at the time of this podcast playing three uh, ranked teams to end your season just doesn't bode well uh, for them at all. So they have to start off hot. They have to be consistently great at the beginning of the year, or this team is easily going to go six and six, uh, or, or you know. And at that point, if Harbaugh is not gone, I don't know what's going on. Uh, to 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 allude to what you guys are talking about, you know, they're, they're finishing. It's weird. You know, we're talking about Michigan's talent going down as they're finishing 13th in the nation, as they're finishing second in the Big Ten. But you, even with that being the case, you know, you just feel like that gap is just closing and, and they're not running away from it uh, or, or running away from the gap as much as maybe somebody like an Ohio State is doing. You know, when, when you look at numbers like the recruiting, when you're talking about a Michigan, don't necessarily look at their national and Big Ten ranking because those are going to be obviously really good. Look at their average rating. To give you an example, we were just talking about how good Indiana has been recruiting over the last couple of years. Their average rating for, for Indiana and Michigan going into, into the 2022 class are separated by literally a point. So it's, 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 it's literally it's, it's minuscule now the average rating of their recruiting classes. And so with that being the case, that's what you should look at when it comes to Michigan. You know, be, you know, going go ahead. Nick. Well, and, and I was just going to say real quick and, and you're you're getting to a point, something I, I should have. Uh, mentioned a bit earlier that, or, mm -hmm. or at least driven home the point, um, you know, Michigan and, and Indiana are, are not incredibly far, as you mentioned, in, in the type of ca uh, talent that they're recruiting right now. Maybe Michigan has some of the higher level guys, uh, and that's partly why our roster strength numbers for Michigan are dropping uh, as much as they are is because that that just, you know, a uh, few mm -hmm. higher, you know, high four star type guys. Those are the guys who are leaving for the NFL after three years or, or after four right. years where Indiana is, is you know, doing a, uh, able to hold on to those guys or maybe a couple of more of those guys than Michigan would. And then last year with the extra year of eligibility, uh, you know, they're able to, to kind of get an an extra year with those guys, an extra year of experience, an extra year of production. And Michigan is, you know, still losing guys to the NFL. I mean, they had what, seven guys drafted uh, in the first six rounds. And, you know, how many of those guys were four-star players? I mean, uh, I know Quiddy Pay actually wasn't, was a little uh, lower rated than you might expect for a first round pick, but you know, Jalen Mayfield, over a 90-rated player. Nico Collins, 93-rated player, according to 247 Sports. Uh, Ambry Thomas, 95. Cameron McGroney, uh, you know, 95. So those those guys aren't going to stick around that extra year necessarily. And so the, the you know, level of, of recruiting coming back, we look back and, oh, yeah, it's top 10 classes. Uh, and maybe Indiana had a top 25 class. The, the majority of that top 25 class from three or four years ago for Indiana is still on the roster. At Michigan, it's not. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and I like Michigan. I, I hope for the fan base. You know, it's what this is one of the best fan bases uh, in college sports, you know, so uh, you would like to see this uh, team start to pick it up. But we hope that for Nebraska and a bunch of Big Ten teams every year. And it's just Ohio yeah. State dominating every single year. So uh, with that, uh, you have anything else to add, Xavier? I, I, outside really of not. Harbaugh should be canned? I mean, oh, well, I mean, outside of that, I just think that really, I mean, if really when you look at this year, this is a make or break a year for, for Michigan in, in, in a ton of ways, yeah. you know, not just with the hardball situation, but I absolutely agree with Nick. I think that this is a year that if Michigan become that, I'm not saying Michigan will become a Tennessee, but if they were to become a Tennessee, this is a team, this is a year in which I would look at and go, you guys, this was the year that you guys started trending and then it really hit the fan, especially if they do finish a six and six type year or seven and five type year where, you know, they barely scrape bowl eligibility. We'll look at this kind of year and be like, this is where it all kind of started. All right, let's go over to Michigan state and uh, Michigan state. We have ranked 71, not great. Uh, they did have wins over Michigan and Northwestern, which showed some promise, but uh, they lost five games by an average of 26.4 points, none closer than 11 points. Their DK total is five. That's right online where we got them at five and seven favorite to win five town edges and six. And we do have a question about Michigan state here from Andrew. And he says the MSU defense uh, looks highly rated this year by SP plus and graded out well last year on football outsiders, but reflecting on what I've watched and scanning box scores, I feel they perform below the usual standard. What is the reality here for the Michigan state defense, Nick? And I think this is an excellent question because you know, Michigan State starts up front. They start on defense. So uh, do we think that they can improve on a poor performance from last season? Yeah, and, and you know, Michigan State, uh, that's absolutely right. I mean, they, they were for quite a while consistently uh, either at worst very solid and at sometimes elite defensively. Looking back at our defensive team performance rankings from – uh, like the last six, seven seasons, they in 2019 ranked 22nd. In 2018, they were fourth. In 2017, they were 19th. And in 2014, they were 16th in, in defensive team performance. Uh, 2015 and 2016, they, they uh, you know weren't great, but last year took a big step back. I mean, a three-year trend going from four to 22 to last year 63rd in our defensive. Uh, team performance ratings and, and you know, struggled against the pass and, and were used to Michigan State having NFL defensive backs. And, and yeah, they, they traditionally have been really, really good up front. And last year, their front seven certainly had talented players. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I at least think of that elite level of, of play or, or at least top 20, top 15 type level of defense. I, I, I thought, I think about the, the secondary a little bit more and, you know, last year it, it really wasn't there. And that was a big cornerback specifically. Uh, I know in the fall or excuse me, in, in spring practice was a major, major area of concern. I believe uh, at the start of spring practice, because they moved um, Angelo Gross from corner to safety, that left Kalon Gervin as the only uh, scholarship corner on the roster for spring practice. So, you know, they had to go in and, and they've got five corners um, from the transfer portal, uh, five, or excuse me, four corners from the transfer portal, five total 
defensive backs. They really, really hit that hard. They hit the linebacker position hard uh, with the, the transfer portal. They also added Drew Jordan on the defensive line from Duke. You know, there, there are, if you're looking at our 2021 FBS team profiles, there is blue highlight all over the place for Michigan State. And, and that's what we use to indicate an incoming transfer. So uh, obviously, you know, the, the defensive talent, but really the talent across the board uh, just wasn't really there, or at least the coaching staff and, and you know, Mel Tucker didn't think it was there uh when he inherited the program and they've certainly lost a lot of guys, you know, through the transfer portal, we have 23 listed on our transfers out section. So it's been a two way, uh, you know, a two way street for sure. But I, I think, you know, to answer, to answer Andrew's question, one statistically, uh, I, I think his eyes probably are, are telling him, the right thing that this wasn't a defense that played super well last year. I mean, you know, 63rd in our numbers, it, it might be a little bit lower than SP plus and, and football outsiders. Uh, but, you know, certainly not the worst in, in the big 10 or, or in college football, but they were definitely susceptible defensively. And I think a lot of it, uh, you know, is just a, the talent, sort of dipped in those later D'Antonio years. And and so one thing that Mel Tucker is certainly uh, prioritizing is getting a more talented roster together. He's doing it through the transfer portal first, but I think we are really going to start to see uh, the, the recruiting numbers of, of high school prospects to really start to grow, you know, really start to climb up uh, that national rankings list because you know Mel Tucker is is well regarded as a uh recruiting guy. I mean he's somebody that has Alabama, Georgia in his recent resume was was somebody highly uh involved in the top top tier recruiting classes when he was at those programs. So I, I think that we're going to see uh Michigan State and I've you know read a little bit about this the Athletic had a great write-up with, um, I, f- I forget his name, but I apologize, that the uh, kind of the head of the recruiting department at Wisconsin, there was a big profile of him this time last year talking about, you know, the things they're doing to, to help Wisconsin grow uh, into a top 25 type recruiting program. Well, he has since left to go to Michigan State. And there was another profile with him and, and sort of talked about, you know, yeah, Wisconsin really made a lot of progress, but they weren't really investing in recruiting the way that Michigan State is. Michigan State's recruiting department, Mel Tucker wants it to look like Alabama, look like Georgia, you know, want, wants to really, really uh, have the, you know, the plan in place and, and the, uh, the utilities and, and whatnot available to recruit at a really, really high level. And we haven't seen that necessarily from, uh, you know, the last decade or, or more when D'Antonio was there. They were kind of right on that 25, 30 range of, of recruiting classes. I spent a little time in, in Lansing, Michigan, lived there for about, what, seven or eight months uh, for, uh, you know, I guess this was three years ago now, but I was I was walking around and thinking, you know what? East Lansing, I really like this. You know, this this campus is is really great. You know, I, I really like the town. I think that 
there certainly was some untapped potential uh, on the recruiting landscape under Mark D'Antonio. And so, you know, you hear, oh, well, Michigan State's never really going to be a top 10 recruiting destination. They're not really going to be able to get up to that that level. I hear some whispers uh, or, or see some things written about that. I'm not sure that that's necessarily true. I, I think that the combination of Mel Tucker and a, a place that maybe wasn't, uh, you know, maximized its potential as a recruiting destination, I, I think we really could see the talent level rise. So I, I made a couple of comparisons here to other uh, programs across the country. The one that kept jumping in my mind when I was looking at Michigan State was Georgia Tech where the last couple of years, Jeff Collins has really, really raised the, you know, the brand awareness of Georgia Tech, has really hyped up Atlanta as, as uh, you know, uh, obviously where they are, but a place where people want to be, where there's a lot of talent. There's maybe a little less talent immediately in the Lansing area, but it's not far from Detroit. And there's some other uh, talented pockets around the Midwest. And, and, you know, Tucker certainly has ties in the South, ties in uh, other parts of the country. So I, I, you know, I I feel like they're kind of moving in that direction where Michigan State for a little while, Georgia Tech was kind of a hot recruiting spot. uh, And then, you know, now it's time to, to win some games. I think Michigan State's really in that first full year where we're going to start to see Michigan State be kind of a, a little bit of a hot recruiting uh, spot. I think they're going to see a bump in the next year or two with the guys that that they're able to sign coming out of high school. They're just going to have to win some games to be able to carry that momentum, something that Georgia Tech, I think, is in danger of, of losing. Michigan State, uh, you know, maybe maybe they'll be able to get there. A lot of it is going to depend on rebuilding that defense, but I think more importantly is making some strides offensively. They brought in Anthony Russo, transferred from Temple to compete with Peyton Thorne. Not sure who's going to win that job. Not sure I'm super excited about you know either of their uh, you know ceiling, but I think maybe either one could be a good bridge to again recruiting. I believe they've got a, a you know high four star guy committed right now as a quarterback, so maybe they'll get there. They brought in a couple of running backs to challenge Elijah Collins and Jordan Simmons. Uh, Kenneth Walker scored what twelve touchdowns for Wake Forest last year. Uh, Harold Joyner is a guy who can do a lot of different things. Played some H back is a big uh, running back, you know, well over uh, 210 pounds and, and like 6'3", 6'4", so somebody that can be used in a variety of ways. Connor Hayward was actually technically the starter at running back last year. He's playing some tight end now, it sounds like. Uh, they brought in Malik Carr, one of my favorite recruits uh, when he signed with Purdue, was a 6'5", 225-pound four-star guy. Uh, they've already moved him to tight end, which I absolutely love. Hopefully he'll be able to uh, you know, get healthy soon and contribute there. Jalen Naylor and Jaden Reed are a pretty solid wide receiver duo in the Big Ten. They have both high ceilings, maybe NFL futures, uh, Naylor specifically, uh, I think. The offensive line was really bad last year, ranked 120th in our performance ratings, but all five guys are back. They brought in some transfers. They, they got healthier. So that unit hopefully will be a little bit improved. You know, there's there's a long way to go for Michigan State. I do like the uh, long-term future. I, I get the feeling Tucker thinks that it's a 
destination type job, not a stepping stone type job. And he really can build Michigan State into, you know, one of the top two or three Big Ten East programs, get them back to that level again. They're certainly not there yet. And they do, of course, have a difficult schedule uh, in the Big Ten East. They also draw Northwestern, which is always tricky. And to open up, uh, you know, in week one in a a Big Ten game is going to be tough. They play Miami in a non-conference. Western Kentucky is completely changing everything on, on offense, especially. So that might be a difficult team to prepare for. So it's, it's going to be tough this year, but I do think that Western or excuse me, that, that Michigan state is going to be more consistently competitive. I think we will see uh, the team that was able to knock off Northwestern last year, a little bit more. The defense showed up in that game, really controlled the line of scrimmage. Well, uh, I, I think we could see that team a little bit more. You need to, of course, avoid the team that lost to Rutgers. You need to avoid the team that got just absolutely blown out by Ohio State. But it might not come right away. But I think that once the talent level, you know, starts to to creep up a little bit, whether it's through transfers or, or uh, some success on on the high school uh, front recruiting trail. I think Michigan State is a team that we're going to be talking about in a year or two, maybe, you know, having top 25 potential. And maybe they'll be able to, to make a quicker ascension to that level than Georgia Tech has. I know I got excited about Georgia Tech a couple of years ago. Uh, but I, I, I see a similar path and, and maybe even a brighter future if they can pick up the recruiting and then, you know, going back to our discussion about Maryland – then taking that next step and turning the recruiting into on-field success. And, and it's, uh, you know, not going to be easy and it might take a little while, but I, I think you can be optimistic about the future of Michigan state this year, you know, so many moving parts, hard to say uh, with having, you know, six talent edges, that is at least, you know, a step in the right direction, but the stats only model only has them favored in one I think that's, you know, I don't think they're going to go one and 11, but uh, that shows just how far they've got to come on the field. So we did, you know, land right on that uh, DraftKings win total of five with our five and seven projection. I think I'd rather be on the lower side. I think I'd rather say four and eight is probably the most likely outcome this year. I think they'll beat Youngstown State. I think they probably should beat Western Kentucky and then pick up, you know, a couple of conference games. Rutgers is beatable. Purdue is beatable. Maryland is beatable. You know, maybe, maybe Northwestern Nebraska uh, are are in that mix as well. But I, I think, I think I'd rather be, you know, cautiously optimistic for the uh, mid term, really pretty optimistic about the long term. But, you know, still think that uh, last year Mel Tucker was hired late in the process, didn't get a full spring, you know, so we, we didn't get a great read on Michigan State last year. I think they'll be a little bit improved this year, but I, I think four I think four wins is, is probably uh, the most likely expectation. And uh, Xavier, what do you think about Michigan State? Because like Nick alluded to, this is a tough team to pick, and the, the future's looking nice and everything, but uh, we're dealing with what's going on right now, and it seems to be 
uh, a little rough uh, there in Lansing, like, like Nick said. Yeah, I, I think this is a team that I, I think could get to a bowl game if, if they if everything shakes out right. I think their schedule is very, 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 very favorable um, in the fact that they don't really play. Their, their schedule isn't as competitive as maybe we think a Michigan State schedule should be. Uh, I think Northwestern to start the year, Northwestern and Youngstown State to start the year off are, are could be very favorable for, for them. They could start off two and zero. Obviously, then the Miami game I think is is a guaranteed loss. But then Nebraska, Western Kentucky, and Rutgers. I think that's an opportunity there to win two of three, possibly win all three, depending on what kind of you know you know what kind of confidence they have and maybe what kind of momentum that they've built at that point. I mean, at that point, you know, I think at worst by their off. Uh, by their bye week, they're a three and three ball club. Uh, I think at that point, you know, you, you look at the second half of their schedule and you got Michigan, who we think it could be reeling, and they beat Michigan last year. Um, so, you know, talent edge doesn't necessarily mean anything going into that ball game. Uh, Purdue and then Maryland, there you go. They're six. Uh, I, I think there's a, there's definitely a possibility to do so. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet on it. You know, I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do a Nick. I'm, I'm gonna give the positives and I'm gonna slide back to where I really, what I'm really thinking in, in about two seconds. Uh, I, I wouldn't bet on it. Uh, I think this is a team that absolutely is, is trending in the right direction. I do think you know Nick brought the the uh, he alluded to them being like a Georgia Tech. I think even more so, kind of bet uh, what they have going for them other than a, uh, outside of a Georgia Tech is that they have the pedigree to go along with it. I think Georgia Tech is kind of rebuilding itself a little bit from, you know, scratch in this situation with, you know, them getting into the recruiting trail a little bit, a lot more and then focusing a lot more on it. I think with Michigan State, it wasn't that long ago that they were in the Rose Bowl. You know, it wasn't that long ago that this was an, uh, a perennial power in, you know, college football and, and that they were in the college football playoff, I believe, what, five years ago? Six years ago, so you know, I think that this is a, they have a little bit more of a head start than a Georgia Tech does when it comes to the, even on this on the recruiting trail and to restart their university as is uh, currently. You know, you look at the recruiting trail. You go in the next year, twenty twenty two. They're currently ranked seventeenth in the country and they're recruiting. They're currently ranked fifth in the Big Ten. You know, this is a thing. This is a team that I think that can get it started and get the gears going really quickly, and especially. If Michigan continues to trend downward, they're going to begin to start to pick up on the kids that Michigan can't anymore. And, you know, uh, to, to bring back, you know, one of my first college football memories, my cart calling Michigan State little brothers might flip. Uh, you know, so this is this could possibly happen. Uh, I think Michigan State's trending in the right direction. I would not bet on that number. Uh, I wouldn't bet on them to be a, a bowl team either. Uh, but I do think that, like Nick said, this is a team that's trending in the right direction. I think four wins. Mi- uh, I think four wins minimum is what they're able to do next season. Was Mike Hart on that team that lost to App State, Nick? Do you yes. remember? Yeah, yeah. So that's like I, I love that. That's one of Xavier's first. Uh, college football memories. And uh, I mean, that just, Xavier, you just make me feel so old, dude. Uh, I, I, I really, uh, I appreciate you. Now, I think it was 2007, 2006. Yeah, I was, I was definitely in college when that happened. Yeah. Uh, but it's okay. Time come for, comes for us all, Xavier. You'll, <laughs> you'll, uh, you'll feel what we feel eventually. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I just like, uh, you know, he said my first memory and that, uh, you know, yeah, uh, in in the words of your generation, Xavier, that triggered me. So uh, <laughs> let's go, <laughs> let's go over to uh, Minnesota, who we have at fifty-two. Uh, injuries, opt-outs, and overtime losses was the name of their year. Uh, Maryland and Wisconsin, uh, part of those overtime losses, led them to a three and four record for the Gophers last year. 
Uh, big step back from 2019's 11 win season. Their DK total is low here at six and a half. We've got them at seven and five, favorite to win seven. Talent edges in the same seven, Nick. Uh, can the Gophers step back up and get to some winning ways here in 2021? Yeah, I think that they can. Uh, last, I mean, you mentioned a couple of overtime losses, according to CFB-Graphs.com. Uh, you know, the Maryland game, they they deserve to lose that one. They were 38% in postgame win expectancy. The Wisconsin game, you know, that, that was definitely closer to a, a real coin flip. They had a 53% postgame win expectancy there. So to, to come out on the wrong end of both of those, maybe a, a tiny bit unlucky, but they certainly got blown out by Michigan. Uh, they certainly got blown out by Iowa and, and, you know, they, they were, were, you know, very, very fortunate to beat Purdue uh, kind of a, a real, real controversial call there. So it's, it's the, the record I think is worked itself out. They probably deserve to be three and four, but they played a lot of close games could have gone both ways. That makes me think that, you know, you fix a, a couple of things uh, maybe have a little better, injury luck, maybe have a little more consistency in, in certain spots that this is a team that can get back, maybe not to double digit wins, but closer to uh, what we, you know, closer to that than, than what we saw last year. And the injury front, they're, they're not starting out on the right foot. Chris Altman Bell, who is expected to take over that, you know, top receiver spot that's been incredibly productive at Minnesota over the last few years. Uh, stepping into Rashad Bateman's shoes. He unfortunately suffered a leg injury uh, in mid-August, and and right now we have him listed as questionable for the opener against Ohio State. Best we can, excuse me, best we can tell uh, on, on Thursday, uh, September 2nd. So, you know, hopefully he'll be able to, to bounce back. It sounds like he's got a chance to play in that game, but, you know, Minnesota is already going to be down one of their top playmakers from last year, Bateman, uh, you know, only played a handful of, of games. Um, but somebody else is, is going to have to step up, whether it's Altman Bell once he's fully healthy, Daniel Jackson. They got a transfer from Texas A&M, Dylan Wright, who I'm pretty excited about, was a, a big, big target and, you know, close to a five-star rated player. So, you know, you, you figure out that receiver room, the rest of the offense should be in pretty good hands. And this was a unit that ranked 33rd last year in, in overall team performance because the passing attack took a big step back. Tanner Morgan had a really big statistical year two years ago, ranked among the national leaders in yards per pass attempt, was in double digits, which is you know the elite of the elite. If you can average over 10 yards per pass attempt, especially you know in an offense that throws the ball eight, decent amount then you're you're in a real good spot there so tanner morgan needs to get back to that spot uh, or, or that level of production or at least closer to that than than what we saw last year when he averaged just seven and a half yards per pass attempt uh but mohammed ibrahim is one of the best running backs in the country maybe an all-american type guy depth is a little bit of a concern just because we haven't seen uh, you know, much of Cam Wiley or Trayson Potts or Bryce Williams, but they recruited that position pretty well. And the offensive line should be solid. Four or actually five returning starters, plus they add two starters back from the 2019 team. 
when uh, Daniel Falele, who uh, opted out last year, and Curtis Dunlap Jr. Uh, was injured and, and did not play uh, last year. So you get both of those guys back. You get all five returning starters. That unit ranked 40th in our offensive line performance rankings. You think, you know, with, with the full complement of talent that's there, which they rank fifth in our roster strength ratings on the offensive line specifically, second best in the Big Ten, that could certainly be a top 20 unit on the field, maybe even better if they live up to that level of potential. So offensively, I think there's a lot to like about Minnesota. Defensively, they really struggled. Uh, at the beginning of the year, they were among the worst defenses in college football. And you know that Michigan game, that Maryland game, they gave up 49 and 45 points. They, they just looked, you know, completely uh, overmatched in, in both of those games defensively. They were very, very young last season. They were able to show some improvement uh, over the course of the year, but they still finished 100th in our defensive team performance overall, uh, 107 in rushing defensive team performance. So they've got some, you know, a lot of room for improvement. They are very experienced. I'll let Xavier uh, say his catchphrase uh, here in, in just a second. But, uh, you know, there's there's certainly something to build on. They've got some talented guys. Uh, Boy Mafe is somebody who's a, you know, Bruce Feldman freaks list guy, a guy who's, uh, I think he's, you know, the, the bright up mention, he's 6'4", 260, ran a 4'6", and jumped 42 inches in a very, you know, something, something ridiculous. But so they've, they've been able to, to get, you know, at least one superstar guy who's going to have uh, scouts drooling at the NFL combine. Then they've got some experienced guys in there as well. Five returning starter, really uh, the, the front seven returns intact. Uh, they also added a couple of decent, you know, decently rated transfers and Niles Pinckney who played a lot at uh, Clemson. Uh, they added Val Martin, a transfer from NC State. At the linebacker position, they went the FCS route. Got a guy from Abilene Christian who started uh, two dozen games there and Jack Gibbons. So they're, they're trying to build depth on that side of the ball, build on experience that they gained last year, and, and maybe you know were able to start to put some things together toward the end of the season when they held, you know, they, they – held Nebraska and Wisconsin to 17 points each. So they, they definitely were, were finally starting to, to make some improvement last year. And then in the secondary, they bring four of their five uh, starters back, but it sounds like they might be starting a true freshman at one of their corner positions. So uh, Justin Wally is a guy who, you know, modest rating coming out of high school, but apparently is really impressed. He's going to be pushing – guys like Philip Howard and Solomon Brown for that second corner uh, spot across from Coney Durr. So, you know, there, that maybe is not the ideal scenario. You, you would like for uh, a, a little bit more experience across the board, but with, what, 10 returning starters or something like that on the defensive side of the ball, only having to replace Benjamin St. Juice, they, they should show some improvement there. So I think Minnesota will be – uh, you know, they will be a, a factor in the Big Ten West. I think that Wisconsin and Iowa are pretty clearly the top two, but I think Minnesota is is 
probably maybe even in a tier by itself, but a solid number three, where if, if, you know, just enough bounces go their way, they certainly could, they could, you know, have a path to uh, the Big Ten West title. And, and part of that is because they play Iowa and Wisconsin in two of the last uh, three weeks of the regular season. So it's a tough final three. They, they, those games sandwich a trip to Indiana. But, you know, after the Ohio State game where you're probably going to get beat, you know, pretty bad, they have six, seven, eight winnable games right in a row. Maybe, maybe you know, what, we have them favored in six of their next seven games uh, after that Ohio State game. So they absolutely could be a top 20, you know, bring a top 25 college football playoff ranking into that, uh, you know, uh, that trip to Iowa City and have a, an opportunity to, to beat Iowa. Uh, last year, they were certainly overmatched in that game. But, you know, we've seen Minnesota compete with Iowa. They certainly match up decently well on the roster strength numbers, as we talked about. Uh, so that's that's a game that probably will be an underdog, but a game that it wouldn't be, you know, a, a upset of the year or, or anything if, if Wisconsin was able to pull that out. So I think we'll see some improvement. Overall, with Wisconsin, I think, you know, don't overreact if they get blown out in week one against Ohio State. Uh, and I think, you know, after that, taking a, a seven and one record into Iowa City is not out of the realm of possibility. Maybe they, you know, only win five of those, but I think they'll absolutely be in a position to where that last three games against at Iowa, at Indiana, and home against Wisconsin is going to, they're going to be playing for, you know, their, their bowl position. They'll either have an opportunity to get bowl eligible and, and by winning one of those three, or uh, they'll be, you know, are we going to make it to New Year's Day or, or something like that? I think Minnesota is experienced enough, solid enough, and uh, maybe, you know, proven enough uh, based on the success they had two years ago that they're, they're going to be a factor. We only expect, you know, 5.94 wins on average, uh, when we add everything up. Um, and, and so we do, you know, officially come under that six and a half, just if you look at those numbers. But I think that that number sort of, uh, you almost have to say, okay, well, they're not going to get through their non-conference unscathed. And they play Miami of Ohio, Colorado and Bowling Green. And yeah, we only have them favored by three on the road at Colorado. And yeah, we only have them favored around 10 against Miami of Ohio. But I think Minnesota should win all three of those. And then I think there are enough winnable games on the schedule the rest of the way that I actually did bump, usually don't do this, but actually did bump Minnesota an extra win just because I think that middle portion of the schedule is, is very, very favorable. So six wins seems like a, a you know basically a lock. And I think seven wins is probably the most likely. So I, I definitely don't have huge confidence in this because the number actually, uh, the projection, official projection falls under. And I manually you know put it to the over. Um, but I think Minnesota is a seven-win team. And I think, you know, they, they if they pick up enough momentum, if they stay healthy, if maybe some of the, you know, Iowa, Indiana, Wisconsin aren't so lucky uh, with injuries and personnel and, and things like that, they could be in a position to push for eight, nine wins toward the end of the year. It's it's definitely, uh, you know, 
they'll have an opportunity, I think, to get there, to play their way to eight or nine wins in that last three games. Xavier, what do you think of a team like Minnesota here? I mean, we've seen them have some success, seen them struggle a little bit, all with this same quarterback, too. So uh, they're a little tough to predict, a lot like a lot of this Big Ten is. Yeah, uh, for Minnesota, just handle business with the games that aren't against ranked teams. And when I say ranked teams, I mean preseason ranked. Um, you know, they start their year off with Ohio State. They end their year off with Iowa, Indiana, Wisconsin. They win every game in between. They're an eight-win ball club. And I know that make you know that makes it sound really simple. But when you look <laughs> at their schedule, I, I don't see why they can't do it. They have the talent to do it. A little update on Chris Altman-Bell. He looks like he has a legitimate uh, opportunity to play week one, according to what PJ Flex said uh, on August 16th from an article I was just reading. Um, he said, and I quote, Altman Bell, Altman Bell injury is a week-to-week issue, not a long-term one, um, and that he has a legitimate chance to play in the season opener against Ohio State. That Those are his words. Uh, so if he plays, I don't think it would matter. I think they still lose to Ohio State, but it will obviously be good for them to have their number one receiver back uh, to get to get reps early on in the year. I think this is a team that absolutely should handle business against their, their early part of their schedule. Outside of Ohio State, they should beat Miami of Ohio. They should beat Colorado, even on the road. They should beat Bowling Green, and they should beat Purdue. After that, that that's four wins. At the, so at the very worst, they end up 4-1 by their bye week. Their bye week Coming off their bye week, they have Nebraska at home, Maryland at home. Both should be wins. That's five and one, or excuse me, six and one. After that, whatever happens throughout the rest of the season, at the very least, you're a bowl team. And so I don't see why they can't go over six and a half. I think they are a very bettable team. Out of the three teams that we're going to talk about in a row that all have six and a half uh, as their DK win total, they're my favorite to bet uh, to, to, to bet on to go over that six and a half and get to seven or eight wins because I think their schedule is just very favorable. You know, you, you look at, you know, like I said, from a talent perspective and from a ranking perspective at the beginning of the year, you're looking at the beginning and you're looking at the end of the year as really their most daunting parts of their schedule. Uh, on top of that, I do think before they get to their toss-up games, they get a very, very good bye week. And I think that that could lead to them being absolutely 5-1 uh, by you know the, the by the Maryland game in October. Uh, and I, once they come off their bye week, they also have two home games. So I think their schedule just really plans out for them to be a team that can win six-plus games, get especially get to that seventh win and get over that six-and-a-half DK win total. Uh, when you talk about them from on the recruiting trail, PJ Fleck does a really good job on the recruiting trail every year, uh, especially out of Minnesota. You know, obviously that started with him at Western Michigan and, and the row the boat. You know, I, I think that they're going to continue to be a pretty good team. They're not an, uh, an amazing team recruiting, but they're right in the middle, typically top 40, which is where you should be if you're going to be a team that's going to compete maybe, you know, one every three or four years to win a Big Ten championship, get, to win a Big Ten championship. And we've seen them kind of put that together uh, two years ago. So I think this is a, a team that absolutely can win seven games and start to, you know, in a year where Tanner Morgan, I think, is a guy who is a sleeper as a, you know, as a third round draft pick when we talk about quarterbacks. Chris Altman Bell, you know, they have a lot of guys that this year can make their draft stock plummet and can make their draft stock rise through the roof. You know, you talked about Muhammad Ibrahim. You talked, we talked about Chris Altman Bell, Tanner Morgan, obviously. These are all guys that are that have NFL draft and NFL aspirations. This is a year to, to either help that or really hurt that. Uh, I like Minnesota to go over that six and a half DK win total. All right, let's go over to Nebraska, who has got some stuff going on here. We have them ranked 42. They fought to save Big Ten football, three and five record last year in a brewing NCAA investigation. 
things are looking to be a little bit uncomfortable uh, in Nebraska here. Uh, their DK win total is six and a half. We have them at six and six, favored to win five. Count edges in nine. Another team that, um, you know, a lot of teams like that in the Big Ten here, Nick, but uh, lots of turmoil going on in Lincoln right now. What do we think of the Huskers for 2021? Yeah, they're, they're definitely a team that it is difficult to trust. And, and in a lot of ways, they're uh, kind of similar to Michigan, where the talent numbers, the recruiting numbers have been pretty good. You know, not quite that top 10 level that we saw at uh, Michigan most of the last decade or so, but they're right there in the top 20, you know, top 20, top 25. So very, very solid. Uh, but they're losing guys to the NFL. They're losing guys to the transfer portal. The guys who are sticking around are, uh, you know, not always living up to expectations, not consistent. And that's certainly been the case at the quarterback position where Adrian Martinez is, is a really highly rated player in our individual player ratings because he was a you know, four-star guy coming out of high school. He's got three years as a starter, 20, uh, you know, 27 career starts to his name and he's also wrapped up you know racked up some production especially as a runner uh he's got 10 production points over uh the last three years so you know that's for some hundred yard rushing performances that's from uh you know player of the week here or there uh and the occasional you know game where he puts it together and, and puts up a a solid passing performance I mean, he had 300 yards against illinois a couple of years ago 290 against colorado uh, so at times he's he's definitely flashed if, as a true freshman at 384 passing yards against Wisconsin. So you know he's he's somebody who has uh, really flashed at times, but has you know not shown a whole lot of um, progression. Has not you know really gotten better year over year, and in some instances uh, has gotten more and more inconsistent. And and that's a that's a big problem. He's going to, I think, be the determining factor for if this Nebraska team can get back to a bowl game. If, if Adrian Martinez plays at you know the high end of his spectrum in 75% of their games, then Nebraska is going to be a factor in, in the Big Ten West. If he's a guy that you know is is only playing up to that level 40 or 50% of the time then they're a team that's in danger of losing to Michigan State or Northwestern or Michigan. You know, they're, they're a team that certainly uh, is, as we've seen in years past, capable of, of losing more often than not. So uh, Adrian Martinez is, is the big factor, but he's going to need some help too. The running game uh, outside of him, there's a big question mark there. They brought in Marquis Stepp as a transfer. He's been banged up. Looks like Marvin Scott the third is in the mix. A true freshman, Gavin Irvin Jr. is in the mix. Uh, you know, to potentially be the primary ball carrier, there might be a combination of those three guys. You know, we'll, we'll have to see how that shakes out. Last year at this time, a lot of people were really excited about Omar Manning, a big target JUCO guy. Didn't you know? We only had him down as playing four snaps last year. Sounds like he's back to full strength and, and hopefully he'll be able to make an impact, but they're relying on another new guy who has some similar buzz in uh, Samore Toure, who was an all American uh, at Montana at the FCS level, similar, you know, not quite as, as 
thick, only listed at 190, but a, a tall target 6'3", you know, can can give Martinez maybe uh, a, a dynamic option at, at receiver. Xavier Betts, highly rated guy, 95 rating from 247 Sports coming out of high school. Uh, got his feet wet in six games last year. Will he be able to step up and be one of those top two or three targets in 2021? And, you know, then Oliver Martin showed a, a little bit of promise, uh, has certainly been a guy who's played a lot at a few different stops. Previously at Michigan, then at Iowa, now at Nebraska, uh, is, is, you know, who's going to step up and actually be a playmaker for Adrian Martinez. And, and that's, I think, uh, in addition to him just sort of cleaning things up, being more consistent, that's going to, to tell us, is this really a team that can live up to, you know, that, that potential that uh, what his athletic director before he retired said, uh, this is, you know, should, should be a nine win team, something like that. That's, that's, you know, maybe on the table. Uh, they have two of three winnable games in the non-conference. They get Michigan State and Michigan uh, from the, the crossover. They, of course, have to play Ohio State, so that's that's not set up well. But, you know, there, there are a lot of winnable games, especially in the first two full months of the season before their bye week. Um, it's, it's possible they could be undefeated uh, by, you know, when they host Ohio State. I wouldn't or not undefeated, one loss to Oklahoma, sorry, undefeated in Big Ten play uh, when they host Ohio State. That That's certainly, I've been saying this a lot, that's certainly in the realm of possibility. Uh, for a lot of teams, you know, there, there are a lot of paths to uh, a successful season or start of the season, and Nebraska is one of those teams. But they've been very inconsistent. Last year they ranked 73rd in offensive team performance, 94th in passing offensive team performance. The defense did take a step forward, but there's still a lot of of room for improvement. They were 58th in uh, defensive team performance, 52nd against the pass, 64th against the run. Um, They're just, you know, a a decent team, a team that is capable of popping up and, and, you know, having a big day, knocking somebody off. They beat Penn State last year uh, as part of that dreadful start for Penn State. But when we still thought, hey, you know, Penn State was a top 25 level uh, team, they were able to knock, you know, knock them off early on. They played Northwestern tough. Uh, they then turn around and lose to Illinois. So they're a very unpredictable team, have been under Scott Frost. Things, you know, certainly are, are heating up uh, with his on-field results. And then, as you mentioned, the off-the-field stuff, never really know how that's going to impact a team. We talked about that a little bit with uh, Arizona State a couple of weeks ago when we previewed the Pac-12. We can't really account for that. Do you, do you think that the team is going to fall apart? Because, hey, maybe our coach is going to get canceled or going to get uh, uh, fired. Or does the team really rally around it and, you know, take the us versus the world mentality? That's, you know, that's happened before, too. So Nebraska, I, I, I struggle to uh, predict them. I mean, like you said, good luck with Maryland. I feel like Nebraska is the same way. They seem to, you know, they should be better than they are. They they should have won more than they did uh, in, in the last couple of years. So they're another of those teams that I just can't can't really trust. Um, we do think they're a pretty talented team. A lot of that is because you know Adrian Adrian Martinez is is ranked 
pretty high. They've got some highly rated defensive linemen, top 25 unit in our roster strength numbers, top 20 secondary. Uh, but we just talked about that, you know, against the pass, they weren't a top 50 defense last year. So living up to uh, that potential is is just something that, that we haven't seen quite yet. So we do have nine talent edges. I don't really trust that. I, I trust the stats model a little bit more that says they should only be favored in four. And then, you know, you kind of mix all those together with the coaching stuff, which, you know, Scott Frost's uh, head coach rating has dropped considerably since when he was hired coming off of that great uh, two-year stretch at, at UCF. So now they're only favored in five games, according to our official model. We expect six wins on average, 5.91 wins on average. That certainly seems doable, uh, but I, I think I'm, you know, definitely glad that we're on the under six and a half as compared to the over. A lot of winnable games, especially uh, in the months of September and October. Those last three Big Ten games are, are really, really tough. Home against Ohio State, then an FCS opponent, then at Wisconsin, home against Iowa. You know, I think they're deservedly uh, an underdog of, of at least a touchdown in all those games, two touchdowns against Ohio State and, and Wisconsin. But, you know, there, there are a lot of winnable games. It's just will Nebraska be able to put it all together? Will Adrian Martinez be able to, you know, play consistently and, and elevate the level of the offense? And are there enough pieces around him to, to get it done? And, and that's, I think, too many questions uh, and just not enough, uh, you know, not enough evidence in years past that they're going to be able to get over that hump. So maybe they get back to a bowl, six wins. Not sure if that's going to keep Scott Frost's job, even if the, you know, off the field stuff uh, wasn't an issue. So we very well could have a new head coach at some point during the year or, or after the season. But, you know, I, I, I think that they're just, you just can't really trust Nebraska right now. So, so six wins seems to be, I mean, maybe seven wins the ceiling, but I feel a lot better about being on the under six and a half. Yeah, Xavier, I mean, uh, this team, another tough one to predict, like a lot of these in the Big Ten, but I think, you know, just with the lack of success the last few years, as Nick said, and, uh, you know, what is going on off the field right now for them, just adds up to, I don't want to bet. No, I'm definitely not betting the over on this team. I'm going to bet anything. It's going to be the under because I think the stuff is going to come tr uh, come tr crumbling down to the ground if I can speak right. But uh, <laughs> what do you think of Nebraska for 2021? Oh, this is going to be a rough year. Uh, I, I'm just going to keep it simple. I I don't. I think finally we have a grasp on what Nebraska is. I, I think over the last two seasons, especially uh, this podcast in particular. We've been we've been a little bullish on Nebraska, or at least at the very least bullish on Adrian Martinez. And I think that for once we kind of see Nebraska for what they are. They are a team. They they for me they are a six win ball club at best. Um, I, I, when you look at their schedule, I think that they're a team. I think they win their first three. I think I can see them winning their first three. Maybe you know, and the one I think they may lose out of Illinois, Fordham, and Buffalo might be Buffalo. Um, you know, I, you know, I don't think that this is a team that competes with the big dogs anymore. This is not a team that you can feel confident going into a Big Ten season with, and that's unfortunate because we've talked about how you know the pedigree of Nebraska in the past, and, and you know, unfortunately for them, I don't think that matters anymore. They don't. When you play Nebraska, you don't 
feel the weight of a, you know of, of their past you know successes when you play them anymore. And I think that that carries a lot of you know what has gone wrong with Nebraska and what will happen this season. You know, Nebraska Oklahoma like you know I don't, I don't know even ten years ago would have been a massive game. It's just not. I, it's just not. It doesn't carry the same weight that it that it does that it would have. You know, and I think that when you look at their schedule. I don't see them navigating it well outside of those first three games. I think they, at worst, they finished two and one in their first three. Um, and after that, you know, they have to go to Oklahoma. They have to go to Michigan State. I think that Michigan State game may be a trap game or maybe a game in which after losing to Oklahoma, they just, you know, don't come to play. Um, you know, they have to play Michigan and then at Minnesota. I think that, you know, I just don't, I have no, very, very little confidence in Nebraska. I think we've all been kind of, you know, scorned by Nebraska over the last two seasons. And I just don't have any faith in them to put it all together and put together a year with all of the talent that Nick talks about with the fact that, you know, they rank uh, 20th in the country in recruiting this year. They rank 20th in the in the country in recruiting last year. They finished fifth in the big top five in the big 10, the last three years in recruiting. None of that has materialized into anything, you know, and you also talk about, you know, uh, Scott lumped on the off the field problems, you know, heck, you know, they gave Scott Frost a two year extension, what, two years ago, you know, and, and, you know, when he had earned absolutely nothing for that, that, that put his contract through 2026. And, and you just feel like, you know, when we talked about Michigan, when I talked about Michigan, I talked about how I felt like you just didn't know what was going on. We know what's going on with Nebraska. And it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't, it does, it, everything smells fishy. It just doesn't seem like they're going in the right, right direction and they're trending downward. Uh, and so I think this is a, you know, at, at best, I think this is a six win ball club. I think they just scrape into a bowl game. Um, you know, I, and, you know, I, I think maybe that Purdue game gets them to maybe six and then they lose their next three to end the year. Uh, perfectly honest with you, I, because I don't see how they beat Ohio State at Wisconsin and then Iowa to end the year. Uh, I just don't see how they're able to put it all together. I think at, at worst, this could actually be like a four-win ball club. I'll be perfectly honest with you. So I would absolutely bet the under for Nebraska going into 2021. All right, let's shift gears here and moving uh, from Nebraska over to Northwestern. Uh, we have them ranked 88. They bounced back from a 3-9 2019 to go 7-2 and two and win the Big Ten West Championship last season, uh, capped by a 35-19 to 19 bowl win against Auburn. Their DK total is 6.5. We have them at 5-7, and seven, favored to win three, talent edges in six. They just had a couple injuries over this week as well, so uh, we're just expecting the bar to be set much lower for Nebraska, or Northwestern, excuse me, in 2021, Nick. Yeah, and, and so far, I mean, if you've listened to uh, all the the previous teams in this episode, I've I've maybe sounded a little wishy washy or like, oh, I could see this team, you know, getting above, or I get, you know, maybe maybe if a couple things go wrong, they go uh, a little below, but the number is pretty good, and and you know, that's just because somewhat unfortunately, our projections are very very similar, at least so far, to what the odds makers have, and especially, you know, at least the, the uh, DraftKings win total that we're working off of. I, I just did a quick uh, look through, you know, all the teams that we talked about, and none of our projected win totals are more than, uh, what, 0.9 wins off of, of any of the others. And on the one hand, that that's good, because we don't want to necessarily be crazy uh, off in one direction or the other, because, you know, maybe then we've got something wrong. Uh, but we also do want to find some value. We want to, to, you know, see something. Maybe we know something that that you know that uh, the odds makers don't. So I'm a little 
nervous about this, especially because it is Northwestern. But hey, I finally have, uh, you know, I finally have something I feel good about where our number is different enough from the uh, projected win total or, or the posted win total at DraftKings that, hey, all right, yeah, now I, now I feel good about one. Northwestern, six and a half wins. Uh, they're the defending, you know, Big Ten West champ. Pat Fitzgerald has traditionally been an overachiever, has, has a great track record of getting more out of less than a lot of other uh, programs, especially in the conference, uh, has certainly done a good job of uh, recruiting. One, I mean, recruiting's moved in the right direction in, in recent years, but of course, developing, finding underrated players and turning them into, you know, NFL draft prospects. They had two guys go in the first round this past year. Rashawn Slater, of course, didn't play in 2020. He had opted out when the Big Ten announced that it wasn't going to play. But Greg Newsom the second goes uh, 26 overall. They also had Ernest Brown drafted in the fifth round. And then, you know, over, what, uh, half a dozen guys uh, at least are, are currently in NFL camps from, from that season last year. And that's part of the reason why I think, okay, you know, Northwestern is is consistently good enough that that's not terribly uncommon. But then also, hey, yeah, they had three guys drafted. They have six other guys sign uh, undrafted free agent deals. That number currently doesn't actually include Peyton Ramsey. I'm not sure if he signed one since I made this this note or not. Uh, or uh, starting left tackle Nick Urban or interior defensive lineman Jake Saunders. So Northwestern actually is is not only you know replacing a lot of production they're replacing the most production in college football coming into the week they were 128th which there were only 128 teams that played last year uh they were 128th in overall returning production in our calculations 128th on the offensive side of the ball and 128th on the defensive side of the ball and then you mentioned the injuries they had a, a backup offensive lineman uh, Zachary Franks go down with a season-ending injury, and then arguably their best returning offensive player, Cam Porter, the running back, leading rusher last year, goes down with a season-ending uh, injury to, to his lower body. So I, we were already a, a little bit low on Northwestern, especially compared to a lot of the other projections out there. I know SP Plus had them uh, certainly in, in the top 40. I've seen you know, other preseason magazines as high as, you know, the the upper 30s. Um, so people are expecting, you know, not a huge drop-off for Northwestern. But we we are. Our numbers are. We have Northwestern ranked 88th nationally. And, yeah, that seems a little low for a Pat Fitzgerald coach team. Uh, but I, I also kind of believe it. I mean, let's, let's not forget, two years ago, Northwestern was – I mean, the worst offense that we've seen in a while. Uh, they played solid defense, but they were just absolutely terrible on offense two years ago. This offense sets up somewhat similarly. I mean, what what's the situation at quarterback? We heard just this past week that they uh, announced Hunter Johnson will be the starter on the one hand former five-star recruit when he signed with Clemson, but two years ago had an opportunity to start after an injury, and he was dreadful. I mean, I actually 
bumped his, you know, on, on very rare occasions will uh, adjust a talent number down. I did that for Hunter Johnson just because of, you know, it just didn't look like uh, that five-star type quarterback that, you know, he, he seemed like when he was coming out of high school. But, uh, you know, they brought in Ryan Holinsky to, to uh, potentially compete for that job. He ends up not getting it. Hunter Johnson wins it. I also thought, hey, we are kind of an outlier on Northwestern. Maybe I need to hedge a little bit. Maybe maybe let's just bump Hunter Johnson back up to uh, that five-star rating. So he is actually a 91-rated player in our system right now, which is on the higher side. I mean, Northwestern ranks ninth in average 247 uh, rating among quarterbacks, those top three quarterbacks right now. They rank 16th in our quarterback uh, position ratings, and that number carries the heaviest weight of any position group on the team, and still we have them 88. So I think I tried to, you know, give them the best case scenario at the quarterback position and, and you know, with the, uh, the personnel that they do have coming back, and we're still very, very low on Northwestern. So I could, you know, absolutely we could end up looking uh, very, very silly if Pat Fitzgerald and this program just continues to uh, roll along even like, you know, a, a, a year last year when people didn't expect very much and they were Big Ten West champs. But based on what we saw two years ago, based on the level of production coming back in a year when, you know, most teams are bringing back far more returning production than usual, Northwestern is on the extreme opposite end of that. So, you know, we only have Northwestern favored in uh, two non-conference games. We have them in, as an underdog against Ohio, even. We have Northwestern favored against Rutgers, and that's it. So three regular season games, and certainly there are other winnable matchups. Uh, they are, you know, less than a field goal underdog against Ohio, less than uh, two points against Illinois, less than a touchdown against Purdue, Minnesota, and, uh, you know, uh, Michigan State in the opener. But still, if, if they're able to win half of those coin flips or maybe even, you know, three quarters of those, it's still going to be very difficult to get up to six wins, to get up to, to seven wins that you need to get uh, for the over here. So favored in three officially, talent edges in just six. Uh, the stats model only has them favored in five. We project five wins on average. I know Northwestern is, is you know, uh, likely going to play very, very hard, likely going to be uh, fundamentally sound, well-coached. They are breaking in a new defensive coordinator, mind you. Uh, should be the same defense and, and all of that, but still different guy installing and, and overseeing meetings and, and all of that. So I I feel a little uneasy about it because Pat Fitzgerald specifically is is you know the kind of coach that seems to overachieve. But the way our numbers stack up, and I tried my best uh, with with you know Hunter Johnson at the quarterback position to give them every benefit of the doubt talent wise. And we're still, you know, a win and a half less than the odds maker. So even if they win a game uh, on average that we wouldn't expect, it still would go under. So I actually did 
in our in our betting game. I, I did add Northwestern uh, to this as, as under six and a half. That's that's one that I, I'm going to trust our process. I'm going to trust our projections. And if Northwestern overachieves and, and gets over that number, they're going to have to to really, really overachieve. Because right now on paper, this is the least experienced team, least amount of returning production in the country, and just a lot of holes, a lot of, of uh, spots where I've got, you know, big-time personnel concerns. They do have Brandon Joseph, All-American caliber safety. Uh, they've got some talented guys up front. They always do. They brought in a couple of transfers here and there, Stephon Robinson Jr. Uh, from Kansas, uh, Andrew Clare, you know, will have a, a bigger role at running back. He's a transfer from Bowling Green. You know, they, they have uh, Peter Skoronsky, who could be an All-American left tackle, maybe another future uh, first-round pick. But the depth is not quite there. The talent level overall is not quite there. And just the, the, just the pure amount of, of lack of experience in a year when most everybody else uh, is going to, bring back you know seven eight nine starters on both sides of the ball it just it's it's going to be an uphill battle for northwestern so i think i'm i'm comfortably under uh the six and a half this year xavier what do you think of uh northwestern this year and like nick said he's comfortably under this six and a half number and you know having a couple injuries recently definitely does not help and they've just been a bit wishy-washy lately. What do you think? Yeah, I'm with them on that. For me, it's just where my biggest question is, where does Northwestern's offense come from? Uh, you know, I, I'm looking at, you know, their their team, and I'm trying to figure out in the games in which they play next season how they're going to consistently score points at a high enough level to even get to that seven-win margin. And, and when you look at their schedule, I'm just not too fond of it either. Uh once again, they do get lucky. They don't have to see Ohio State this year. They don't have to see Indiana this year, both positives. But for me, it's the inconsistencies with this team and with this, with this uh, I was going to call them an organization, but the school that ha- really don't make me want to go with the over when it comes to them. Um, you know, we talked, to, I, I kind of alluded to it a couple of teams back, you know, they'll go, you, like we talked about, they went from three to nine to seven and two. Nobody saw that coming. I don't think even our numbers even had that close happening last year. Nick can obviously correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, but I, I do not believe that this team will go over seven wins. I kind of said that or alluded to that when I was talking about uh, Minnesota earlier, that out of the out of all the teams that have six and a half as a DK win total for the Big Ten, I felt like Minnesota was the only team to bet the over uh, confidently. I just don't see them doing that in, in this year. And you know, their, their quarterback room for me is a little bit of a concern. I think it's going to be a revolving door this year. Uh, I, I do think Hunter Johnson can be the guy consistently, but he hasn't shown the ability to always have those kind of games. And I think he'll be on a shorter leash when you have a guy like Ryan Helensky in behind them, who they're going to try out in and out. I think so that's going to be a consistent thing in and out all year uh, for them. So I, with that being the case, you know, as I've talked about in this podcast several times, I don't like a revolving door at the quarterback position. I'm not big on it, never have been. Uh, I say stick with one guy and let that guy roll it out until he just can't go anymore. Uh, so I'm going to bet the under here. I, I, put, I, I would actually feel really comfortable betting the under, if that's what you're, you know, since we're talking about betting here, I would actually feel comfortable going with him being a, you know, a five-win ball club and saying I'm comfortable doing that. Uh, so I would bet the under when it comes to Northwestern. All right, let's bump over to – uh, Ohio State, obviously the highest ranked team 
in this conference at number five. Indiana Northwestern played tough, but no Big Ten rival was a match for Ohio State. Only Bama, who did smack them 52 to 24, was able to take them down. Their DK1 total is 11. We have them at that same 11 and one. Uh, favorite to win all 12 and talent edges in all 12. So, Nick, uh, Ohio State definitely going undefeated and getting into the tournament another time is in play once again for the Buckeyes. Yeah, I definitely think so. I, I think that um, I, I was I uh, was very tempted to predict a 12 and 0 record, uh, even though you know just because there are. Uh, some less than 90% in our projected win percentages based on the point spreads. I mean, against Oregon, we have them as 66% chance uh, to win that game against Michigan. It's on the road, uh, but that's just a 75% chance. Penn State, 75 or 72% chance. Indiana, 69% again on the road. Even those maybe seem a little low, but, you know, we have Ohio State, as a, a favorite of at least a touchdown in every regular season game, uh, they are a double-digit favorite in our projections in all but two games. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's very, very tempting to say that this team should go undefeated. The problem is it's very, very difficult to go undefeated in a 12-game regular, regular season, especially when you have an Oregon on the schedule. That's, that's a tough non-conference matchup. When you have uh, an Indiana who's improving and played you well last year and got to go on the road, the very next week against Penn State, uh, that game's at home, but Penn State is you know up there as far as uh, second maybe most talented team in the Big Ten. So that's going to be tough. And, yeah, Michigan has is, is had a, a horrible, horrible track record in recent years against Ohio State, but going on the road, you know, anything can happen in a rivalry game. It, it's not – it's it's not completely out of the realm of possibility, even though it might seem like it right now, that Michigan could pop up and, and somehow trip up uh, Ohio State. So there are enough potential, you know, tricky spots here and there, especially when you consider they are breaking in a new quarterback. Uh, you know, there, there's some not concern at the running back position, but it sounds like three guys are in the mix for carries, there's a lot of shuffling going on on the offensive line. I mean, yeah, it's it's arguably the best offensive line in the country. They're certainly number one in our roster strength numbers. But you've got some guy, you know, Thayer Munford came back, probably would have been drafted, wanted to play left tackle. He uh, sounds like, you know, in, in fall camp this week is playing guard and, and wanted to play left tackle sort of to show NFL teams, hey, I can be – uh, you know, a, a star tackle at a high level in, in college. Well, right now he's, he's practicing at left guard, or at least last I heard. So is he happy about that? Is there some sort of, you know, concern? Maybe that specific situation is, is not quite it, but maybe there's something going on behind the scenes that we just don't quite know about where maybe a player is, is uncomfortable or maybe a position group uh, for whatever reason. A lot of things can go wrong in a team that shouldn't, lose a game, loses a game. So 11 and one is, is the safe thing to do saying under, uh, the 11 is the safe thing to do. Um, it's, it's highly, highly unlikely that, that Penn state or Ohio state, excuse me, goes 10 and two. I, I certainly wouldn't expect them to lose two games. 
uh, but it's just really, really difficult to go undefeated. And, and especially when you're uh, replacing so much talent. And Ohio State, of course, had a first-round quarterback. They had 10 guys drafted. They had five other guys at least uh, signed as undrafted free agents in a year, again, where a lot of people are going to be very experienced, bring a lot of guys back. Ohio State ranks 117th in returning production, 123rd on offense, 122nd on defense, the way we calculate things. So, you know, there could be some growing pains. Uh, I think C.J. Stroud is going to win the job coming out of camp, and, and you know, I expect he'll probably play well enough to hold on to it. But you've got, you know, five-star true freshman uh, early uh, you know, uh, what's what's the right reclassified Quinn Ewers, who's there, uh, Kyle McCord, really highly rated guy, true freshman who, who signed in uh, early, was an early enrollee. And then also the staff really likes Jack Miller, the third, even though he's a lower rated guy, uh, I think because of an injury in, in high school, if I remember correctly. But they're going to be fine at the quarterback position. They're going to be fine at running back. You know, they, they lost a lot in the front seven but they still have the top defensive line in the country. And, yeah, you could argue that Clemson maybe should, but the way our numbers work out, uh, Ohio State is number one in our defensive line. Roster strength ratings. They've got Haskell Garrett as an All-American interior lineman. They've got you know five stars all over the place as edge rushers, Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, both of those guys uh, right now we have projected as starters. They're a 98 and a 99 rated player in our individual player ratings respectively. And then they've got Jack Sawyer, you know, the next uh, five-star guy, JT uh, Tuomolo, five-star guy who signed uh, late in the process. But they, you know, they're they're just absolutely uh, stacked from a, a talent standpoint on par or very, very close to the Alabamas, the Georgias of the world. I mean, they are top five recruiting classes almost every year 2019 small class was a, a little bit of a hiccup but you know they're they're going to be fine at linebacker even though they have to replace three uh starters who were drafted now guys like tarada mitchell are going to be in the mix they were able to bring in uh pi uh Ote from usc who is a highly rated player five-star guy when he signed with usc started 14 games there and and you know ended up not playing much last year, fewer than 100 snaps, but he just happened to show up on the Ohio State campus and, and is going to be in the mix, if not a starter, certainly somebody who's going to add depth there. The secondary should be in a you know pretty good spot. They got uh, exposed a bit against Alabama, but they were, you know for the most part, pretty solid uh, or at least serviceable the rest of the year. They actually did rank 91st in our defensive passing team performance ratings, but that seems that seems a bit low. I, I think they were, um, you know, a, a top fifty type level uh, playing defense, uh, you know, on the back end last year for most of the year. And I would expect that they'll get a little bit better this year. But there certainly are, you know, you could poke holes here or there, whether it's experience and, and some key spots, whether it's uh, just a, a lack of. Um, overall, you know, returning production, some unknowns here and there. The defense wasn't uh, dominant by any stretch last season. But this is absolutely the team to beat in the Big Ten 
it's very, very tempting to just pencil in 12 and 0, maybe even 13 and 0 in a spot in the college football playoff. Uh, but more often than not, you know, it's really, really difficult to go undefeated. So 11 and 1 seems right. I couldn't, you know, pinpoint exactly uh, where it will happen, but I would say that Oregon, Indiana, and Penn State are probably your three best shots at it. Uh, and, you know, on average, if if we total up, you know, 70% in all three of those games, you add that up as 2.1 wins. On average, you're going to lose one of those three games. They might not do it, but it, it certainly is in the realm of possibility. And, you know, uh, but this is, this is a playoff team. This is a national championship contender, certainly. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 we do have them fifth in our power rankings. And, and if C.J. Stroud is the guy or whoever is the guy at quarterback, they have a chance to certainly uh, climb the ladder. Could be number two, could be number one by playoff time. And uh, certainly a, a team to beat in the Big Ten and, and certainly a national championship contender. All right, Xavier, we're going to make you pick them. Who's beating them? Oh, that's easy. It's going to be Michigan. No, I'm kidding. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I almost made uh, Nick spit his water out there. So. <laughs> uh, no, I genuinely think it's at Indiana. Um, I think, you know what? No. All right. I get I get three tries at this. Three strikes are out. Penn State. <laughs> I think after Penn an Indiana State, game, okay. I, I, think after, I think Penn State, for some reason, always has this weird number with Ohio State. Every now and then, they're able to get them, even when they're an underdog team. I think after the Indiana game, They've been beat up. They've been bruised. They focus so hard on beating Indiana, who I think will be also undefeated at that at that time. Possibly a top ten matchup uh, between both teams. They go into that game. They play a really, really you know they have to go on the road. They have to really lock in, and then they come out a little lackadaisical against Penn State. Maybe thinking that they've beat you know that beat the biggest monsters on their schedule already, uh, and they they come out uh, lazy and lackadaisical against Penn State, and Penn State's able to catch them sleeping. There you go. That's how you put that together. Um, the only thing stopping from Ohio State from going twelve and zero is whether or not CJ Stroud has to ground on it. You know, we saw it. We saw it a little bit last year uh, with Oklahoma and Spencer Rattler. We've seen it in the past with other QBs. That you know, that first year isn't necessarily a, a even though he's a redshirt freshman, isn't a guaranteed just you know dead you know sprint. You know, a lot of these kids, even though they come in as five stars. They, they trip up sometimes. You know, we watched even Trevor Lawrence have some games early in his in his Clemson career where he struggled and, you know, they were able to, you know, just get over the hump. So if, you know, for Ohio State to lose a game or more than one game, it would be on the back of C.J. Stroud and that quarterback room not being able to figure it out. Do I think that's going to happen? No, I think he's going to – I think he will figure it out. I think by season's end, he'll be the finish – he'll be closer to the finished product. Uh, but that would be the only thing that, for me, that's the only question mark I have. I mean, he's got a plethora of weapons to throw to. Chris Olave is probably a first-round draft pick. Uh, Garrett Wilson might also be a first-round draft pick, depending on the kind of year he has. Uh, Master Teague is, you know, not only one of my favorite names in college football, but also a guy who I think would be a, a, a day-two guy, an early second, or I'm sorry, a mid-second or early third-rounder, unless, you know, obviously he has a really good year. He could obviously go up. I think Zach Harrison is a possible first-round draft pick, depending on the kind of year he has. I mean, there's just, you know, there's a litany of, of, of options on this team that you could point to and say that, well, this is why they're a national championship contender uh my like i said the only question mark i really do have is you know is cj stroud and i will say this a little bit last year they struggled to run in between the tackles for like the first like six weeks of the season it just looked like they didn't have the physicality factor now we saw in the college football playoff obviously trey sermon had that game where 
he was essentially having you know the best game of his career and and everything but you know if you can catch ohio state you know before they're able to really get on the train tracks and get to rolling like like i said like in indiana like a penn state Nick obviously alluded to the Oregon game, which is week two. That's the perfect opportunity for a team like Oregon to strike and beat them. I think the only thing, the only reason why I really do pick Ohio State in that game is because they're at home. I think that helps CJ Stroud a little bit. If they were going to Oregon, I would be leaning more towards maybe uh, an Oregon quote unquote upset. Uh, but with that being said, I think Ohio State's an 11 and one ball club at worst. Uh, if they got the two, 10 and two, I don't know where they get that second loss. Uh, so I'm not even going to try to come up with that scenario. Uh, but yeah, I think this is a team that obviously we're going to be talking about in week six and seven on the national scale, not just, uh, with the big 10. Yeah. I mean, Ohio state, uh, always, uh, always the favorite for, uh, the big 10. Now we go to, uh, is it sad? Really? I I think it's sad that Ohio state is just like so much has become so much better than everybody else. It's kind of the same thing that happened. I feel like Like, you complain about Clemson more than you complain about Ohio state being in that situation. That's fair. But I think that's because we think about the big 10 of having, having at the very least a little more parity between like teams two and four, where in the ACC, it's like Clemson and everybody else. (laughs) Yeah. It's a pretty big, it's a much bigger drop off in ACC. That's for sure. Uh, Let's go over to number 21, Penn state. And a controversial 36-35 overtime loss to Indiana was just the beginning of a nightmare 0-5 start, but they didn't uh, quit and finished with four straight wins. The DK win total is 8.5 here. Uh, Nick, we got them at 9-3, and three, favorite to win 9. Talent edges in 11. Uh, Penn State always, you know, always within striking distance of Ohio State, it seems. So that, you know, maybe they're getting, uh, you know, the, the big brother, little brother stiff arm. But they're always within striking distance of Ohio State. So, do we see them uh, potentially making a challenge this year at all? Based on last year, and and that zero and five start was the worst in program history. It's difficult to think that yeah, Penn State's going to be right back to that level where they can compete. And and I do think, uh, you know, piggybacking a little on on what Xavier was just saying, that right now it does feel like, especially in the East and, and maybe uh, for the first time in a while, there's a challenger out of the West, I guess. But uh, even with Ohio state losing so much on both sides of the ball, um, it does feel like it's Ohio state. And then a pretty big gap to that second best big 10 East team. And, and yeah, I think it's Penn state maybe almost by default, um, but you know, they are the second most talented team in the big 10 East. Uh, they're 13th overall in roster strength, 13th on the offensive side of the ball, 11th defensively. Uh, James Franklin, you know, certainly has uh, taken some shots. Not a, not a, you know, there are there are certainly folks that uh, have not been impressed with his performance at Penn State of late, but he still ranks 11th in our head coaching ratings, and that's just based on uh, you know coach specific team performance weighted. Uh, over the last three and five years. So he's still, you know, putting up teams that consistently have been top 20 uh, teams. Their three-year weighted average in team performance is number 20. Their five-year weighted average is number 12. And that takes into account last year, which of course is weighted the most, where they finished 47th and, and kind of had to scramble toward the end of the season to uh, break into that top 50. But they, you know, should have won. 
that game against Indiana. I mean, if you look again at post game win expectancy numbers uh, from CFB graphs, they were seventy four percent to win that. That you know, play at the the pylon is is going to be much discussed for a long time. But that was that was just one game, and and then if you look at the next four games, they're lost to Ohio State seven percent post game win expectancy. 1% against Maryland, which we already talked about, 9% against Nebraska, and 4% against Iowa. So if you played those games, you know, 100 times each and the stats added up the same way, you would expect uh, Penn State to have 0.2 wins, so so less than a quarter of a win in those four games. So that's just, that's just not good enough, and that's not what we would expect – uh, for Penn State to play, you know, especially against Maryland, Nebraska, and Iowa, we, we probably would have thought, you know, fairly easily uh, Penn State would have won all three of those games, you know, coming into last year. So it, it was a, a very, very disappointing start, but you mentioned that they didn't quit. They were able to, to come back and completely flip the switch. And the postgame win expectancies in the last four games against Michigan Rutgers, Michigan State and Illinois, not a murderer's row by any stretch, but 96%, 89%, 68%, 97%. So solid, you know, convincing wins in those four. Didn't go into the tank, didn't, you know, let it be a situation where it just completely spiraled out of control and, and they ended up, you know, with one or two wins. Uh, they were able to, to salvage something, and had they decided to go to a bowl game, you know, would have had an opportunity to get back to 500 and, and uh, still were able to uh, capture maybe some momentum going into the offseason. They made some changes offensively. Mike Yersich, new offensive coordinator. I'm pretty excited about the hire. I know last year they brought in Kirk Soroka, so they've had uh, three offensive coordinators in three years. Last year, people were excited about Soroka, but it just didn't quite work out. Yersich has had a pretty pretty good track record of success. I mean, just just scrolling through our uh, statistical projections, uh, looking at his past offensive team performance last year at Texas, they were 25th in offensive team performance. He was at Ohio State the year before that, number two. Oklahoma State the three years before that, and I think prior, but we only go back to 2016 specifically, but 18th in offensive team performance in 2018, third in 2017, and sixth in 2016. So over the last five years, they've averaged, uh, his offenses have averaged uh, ranking 10.8 in offensive team performance. So that would be a pretty big jump, but we do expect a pretty big jump. We project Penn State to have a top 20 offense in scoring offense. We expect them to score on average about 8.7 more points per game. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about the step uh, that Penn State should take offensively. Sean Clifford is is uh, not the most exciting quarterback, but he now, you know, it's his job with Will Levis having transferred to Kentucky. Uh, so hopefully he'll be, you know, comfortable and, and able to go out and play to the best of his ability without being pulled for, you know, short yardage uh, quarterback runs with Levis or, or something like that or feel like he's got somebody breathing down his neck. He's a you know senior, able to, to go out, hopefully, and, and play with the confidence that it's his offense. I have no idea who's going to be the leading ball carrier. There are five guys who it could be, uh, but they've got plenty of options to work with. Devin Ford, Noah Kane, 
They brought in John Lovett. Kevon Lee actually was the leading rusher last year. Keziah Holmes uh, was in, in the mix as well. And all of those guys are, are available right now. The receiving core should be pretty good. Good one-two duo. Jahan Dotson is is uh, maybe one of my you know favorite receivers to watch. I, I think that he's uh, really, really good. Had 11 production points last year. Parker Washington was solid as a true freshman. Britton Strange, pretty good tight end uh, receiving option. They've got some depth at that position as well. The offensive line has to replace a, a you know couple of guys, but still you know a unit that I think will be serviceable. They ranked 70th in performance last year, uh, but you know talent wise, top 15 unit according to our numbers. So there's probably a middle ground in there where maybe it's a top 30. Uh, we should expect them to play at like a top 30 level. So I think the Penn State offense is is in a pretty good position to have a, a solid bounce back year defensively I've got some more concerns and and defensively was you know the defense was the stronger side statistically last year they ranked 32nd in defensive team performance they ranked 57th on offense but the defense has to replace first round pick two first round picks in Micah Parsons and Adafi Owe uh and and then you know had a couple of guys uh go late as well, a seventh rounder, Shaka Tony, and then Lamont Wade actually was undrafted, but uh, has an NFL future, I think. So, you know, I, I, they they had to, for the first time, really uh, dip into the transfer portal on the defensive side. They brought in a, a, a starter uh, level player from Temple, uh, Arnold uh, Ibekite, who I think will, will uh, provide, uh, you know, at least uh, a little bit of depth, maybe be a starting guy there. We haven't penciled in as a starter. They also got Derek Tangelo um, from Duke who played, you know, 400 snaps, has 17 starts in, in his uh, career so far. So putting those guys in with uh, a couple of returning starters and, and certainly a talented group, they're top 20 in average 247 rating at all three levels of the defense. 17th on the defensive line, 5th at linebacker, uh, 12th in the secondary. And those numbers are very, very similar in roster strength. So the, the experience, the production, uh, you know, there's, there's not a super young unit. There's really no major weak spot. They're top 20 in our roster strength numbers at all three levels as well. So it it's should be a fairly solid defense, but the depth is, is a little bit concerning and that high end talent losing two first round picks is uh, just, you know, difficult to replace. But I think Penn state is, is in a position uh, to bounce back and we will learn a lot about them immediately when they travel to Wisconsin in week one, we do have uh, Wisconsin favored in that game, but it is fairly close they will be tested in the non-conference, of course, by Auburn. But prior to that, Ball State is the defending MAC champion. So, you know, uh, two and one is they would they would be in a good spot, I think, if they come out of those three with a two and one record. And then, you know, every game, maybe other than that Ohio State game, uh, you would say is is a winnable game. We do have them as an underdog against Iowa on the road, but. Again, it wouldn't be a shock for Penn State to go into Iowa and come away with a victory. So, yeah, I mean, we only have them at, at 8.25 wins on average. 
that is, uh, you know, right around, of course, that eight and a half DraftKings win total. But I, I felt pretty comfortable bumping it up to nine. I, I, I could certainly, you know, I could certainly see why people, based on that 0-5 start last year, would be very hesitant to expect Penn State to, to really bounce back and be, uh, you know, a top four uh, type, you know, Big Ten team or a top 25 type team in, in anybody's power rankings. But they they have very few weak spots in personnel. Depth, yeah, you could argue maybe. But across the board, as long as injuries don't, uh, you know, take a major toll, and as long as we do see a high, you know, maybe it's not a top 10 offense or a top five offense like we've seen from Mike Yersich in his recent history. But it should certainly, I think, be a top 25 offense. They've got the personnel for it. Uh, and I do really like him as a play caller. So I think I think Penn State is is in a good position to get to nine regular season wins. I'm not confident enough to, to you know, uh, say, yeah, bet the over. But talent edges in 11 games, uh, you know, that that's certainly – uh, you would rather that than be in a disadvantage, uh, you know, more often than not. So I think Penn State's going to be in a in a pretty good position here. Eight and four, to me, seems like the floor. And then I think nine wins, maybe even ten wins, is is certainly possible. Xavier, what do you think of Penn State? Because, like Nick said, you know, people are going to be hesitant because of what happened with them last year. But this team is always in the running. Uh, you can't completely throw out a COVID year, but maybe throw out Penn State's COVID year, right? So uh, not something you can completely do, but uh, the excuse is a little more built in. So what do you think about Penn State for 2021? Yeah, I, I like Penn State. My only really real concern with them going into next year is, is whether or not Sean Clifford can take that next step that really puts them in that top, you know, top two, top three conversation in the Big Ten. You know, I, I think that, you know, we'll learn very early on, obviously, with them playing Wisconsin uh, week one. Uh, we'll learn exactly how good this team is. We'll learn how good both teams are. Um, and I think both teams, funny enough, are leaning on their quarterbacks to make up for what I think were underwhelming years. I think for Sean Clifford, he's got to. I mean, has to progress on, on a year where, you know, he, he he went down. He dropped. You know, last year, you know, uh, 1,800 yards, 16 touchdowns, nine interceptions. That's not even a two-to-one ratio. That's not good enough. It, that's not going to be good enough to win you, you know, to possibly compete in the Big Ten. And, and if he can, you know, right his wrongs, I feel like last year, uh, they're off, I feel like last year the offensive line didn't maybe play up to par as, uh, as well. I feel like he had a lot of games where he was really scrambling for his life back there, um, especially in some of their bigger games. So I expect him to progress this year if he has the time to do so. Uh, and if he can, I think this Penn State team has the opportunity to, uh, to you know, really make a make some noise in the Big Ten this year. You know, they have a really hellacious start to their year. Four of their, you know, out. Four of their first six ball games, I really think, are, are going to be really competitive. You know, they have to go to Wisconsin, they have to go to Iowa, Indiana, and then they obviously have to play Auburn at home. I think all of those are going to be really, at the very least, physical matchups. They're going to lend themselves to this team being battle tested early on. At worst, I think they finish three and three uh, in their first in their first six. Uh, at you know, at best, obviously, you know, five and one, four and two is what I think that they can finish as at best. I don't think they'll go undefeated in this in this stretch. Now, if they do, I, I think Penn State's a team that obviously at that point can compete for, you know, 
in the Big Ten championship game at that point. They would have shown, they would have proven to me at least, if you can beat three ranked teams and an SEC team in your first six games, you're definitely a team that I think can compete uh, for a Big Ten for a Big Ten title at the very least, at least give Ohio State a scare. Uh, you know, they, they play Illinois after their bye week. I think they'll also use that bye week to to, to prepare for Ohio State um, as well as, you know, as we've talked, I think Illinois is, is one of those teams that you feel like you can beat um, when you're a Penn State. And then they've got Ohio State. And after that, you know, their the last four games, I think, are very winnable. You know, at Maryland, Michigan, Rutgers, at Michigan State. They may, you know, that, that last game of the season at Michigan State may be a bit of a trap game. Going to East Lansing in November, you're probably going to be playing in the snow. Um, and obviously Michigan State may be playing for a bowl uh, for bowl eligibility at that point. That may be a trap game that they have to definitely take serious, especially if they are a team that is like that is hoping for some chaos on the last day of uh, of the last day of the season to possibly get into the Big Ten championship game. Uh, so they definitely need to stay focused in that game because it could be a trap game. I think Penn State, like I said, it, it, it leans on Sean Clifford this year. If he can get it right, if he can progress in year four where I thought he would progress in year three, maybe become a 30 touchdown kind of guy. Like it looked like he was trending to be after a really good sophomore season, be a 3000 yard guy. This is a team that absolutely, I think you have to, you know, consider betting the over and consider betting at least nine or 10 wins because of that fact. I think, you know, when we look, when we talk about the teams in which they're going to be playing, I think quarterback at, at all the schools, except for maybe Iowa is, is a known entity. Indiana has Michael Penix. Ohio State has C.J. Stroud. And obviously we talked about how, you know, obviously with it only being his first year, we still think that he's, you know, a guy, you know, has the skill level. Uh, Wisconsin, which we'll talk about with Graham Mertz. All of those teams, I think, have known entities at the quarterback position. Sean Clifford is a little bit of a question mark coming off of the year that he had. But if he can right the ship and, and progress, like, I, you know, like the talent showed he could do after his sophomore year, Penn State can absolutely get to nine wins. All right, let's go over to Purdue now. Uh, Purdue ranked in the 50s, 54, and every game was competitive for them last season. Uh, they started 2-0. They lost the last four, but five of six games that they played uh, were one-score games, and uh, each was decided by 10 points or less. Uh, DK total is at five. We also have them at five and seven. Favorite twin six. Talent edges and only three, though, Nick. So uh, Purdue, a competitive team in the Big 12, and they're ranked competitively with teams like Maryland, Michigan State, Minnesota, Nebraska, um, you know, so they're kind of in the middle of this group, uh, and uh, there are definitely some positives on this team. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of, uh, you know, my feelings and, and expectations on Purdue are similar to Maryland, really. I mean, they, they uh, you know, <laughs> I guess it makes sense with Purdue being 54th in our power rankings and Maryland 55th, uh, but they have a similar wide range of outcomes, but it's kind of from the opposite end of the spectrum because we were talking about how Maryland has really recruited very well, especially the last couple of cycles. And Purdue doesn't have, you know, high-end talent. They rank 76th in roster strength overall, 75th on the offensive side of the ball, and 85th defensively, their recruiting numbers are a little bit all over the place. The, you know, 2019, 2020 classes were in that top 30 range, but in 2021, they, they really struggled. And then of course, you know, prior to Jeff Brom coming in, they were consistently among the lower rated, uh, lower ranked power five programs in, in recruiting rankings year in and year out. So just the overall 
level of talent is uh, lacking when you compare them to the at least the you know certainly the top end of the Big Ten, but I would think that middle tier as well. They are pretty firmly in at least the bottom third, just as far as talent on hand. However, they've done a decent job of of securing some high, high end guys, just a couple of, you know, special guys. Rondell Moore was, of course, that the last few years. Uh, he is gone, but David Bell is, you know, right in that that uh, same range. I mean, just a max 100 rated player in our player ratings, a very different player, big body, uh, you know, not not just the complete uh, offensive weapon that Rondell Moore was, but more of a uh, traditional receiver and and arguably the best receiver in college football. I mean, he's uh, we we refer to CFF the college fantasy football uh, fairly regularly, and he's consistently the number one receiver off the board in, in basically every draft that I've done this year, if not number two. So uh, he's he's a special player. They've got another really really special player on the defensive side in George Karloftis, an All American type guy potential first round talent. Uh, but, you know, from that point, it, it's a bit of a drop off and, and they've got, you know, uh, some guys with 90 or, or close ratings coming out of high school. I like Milton Wright, who's that number two wide out. Uh, a guy like, you know, King DeRoe was an 87 uh, coming out of high school running back, but he hasn't really been able to carve out a consistent role or, you know, last year, I know he, he was banged up a lot, but Xander Hovarth, former unrated or, or really low rated type player sort of solidified that running back uh, role. Um, you know, who's the quarterback going to be? Is it going to be Aiden O'Connell who won the job in fall camp last year? Another former unrated guy started half the games and, and then ended up getting injured when the more, you know, quote unquote, talented guy, uh, an 87 rated player coming out of high school, Jack Plummer gets in, uh, the, they perform pretty well, still throw the football a lot, but not necessarily, uh, a spot where you want to be where not only are those two guys competing again, but Austin Burton, a transfer from UCLA is in the mix. So now it sounds like a three headed competition. Uh, so, you know, you've got, some some high-end guys you've got an offense that has shown a lot of promise especially uh throwing the football i mean they were only 42nd in our passing team performance last year but that was you know so so much better than they were running the ball they were 115th in rushing team performance last year but you know in, in prior years this looked like a team with a lot of offensive promise when rondell moore is fully healthy and and, uh, you know, they, they were playing at a high level on that side of the ball. Defensively, it's it's a little bit of a weird situation. I mean, they've gone through now three defensive coordinators in three years. Uh, some of the, you know, the sources that I read and, and uh, try to keep a, a pulse on things, there seem to be, you know, some of those anonymous coaching uh, quotes where they're like, hey, are our guys starting to just feel uncomfortable coaching on the defensive side of the ball for, for Brom because he's been churning through defensive coordinators. I think they actually have four uh, current uh, members of the defensive coaching staff that have some sort of coordinator title, uh, you know, in their bio. Brad Lambert is, is the, you know, actual 
play caller, as I understand it. Uh, and he, you know, coordinated a, a great, great unit at Marshall last year, ranked sixth in our defensive team performance ratings last season, only allowed 13 points per game. But with so much turnover recently and with not the most talent to work with, I mean, outside of Karloftis, uh, who basically, you know, alone has elevated that defensive line to 51st in our team ratings roster wise and a top five unit in the, the Big Ten. But the linebacker unit ranks 104th and dead last in the Big Ten. The secondary uh, ranks 13th in the Big Ten. 66 nationally, but still only one secondary we think is more talented. The back seven, uh, when you incorporate the that you know triple-digit linebacker unit, ranks 93rd and last in the Big Ten. So, yeah, Brad Lambert had a lot of, of success coordinating defenses, but a lot of these guys who are you know not going to be at very much of a talent advantage against opposing offenses and Big Ten play. Now we're on their third different play caller in three years. There are three other guys on the staff that are some sort of uh, coordinator, whether it's co-coordinator or passing game coordinator, run game coordinator, or, or what have you. I mean, it's, you know, you, you start to wonder, hey, is, is, uh, is this maybe just not really working out, at least on the defensive side of the ball? And then offensively, you know, they, they got to figure out some way to uh, keep defenses honest and, and run the football. They also need to settle on a quarterback. So there are a lot of questions. There are some real talented guys. There's a track record of success for Jeff Brom where you think, okay, this can be a dangerous team. Uh, I mean, it was just a couple of years ago when Purdue upset Ohio State, right? So we don't necessarily think that that's uh, likely to happen uh, this go-round, but you know, Purdue can be a dangerous team. We actually do have them favored in four of their first five games. They can get off to a very good start. Then they get a, a bye week to prepare for a trip to Iowa. The The competition really ramps up in, in that month of October. Uh, and then, of course, they play Ohio State in November. But, you know, if if they figure out the answers to some of those questions, if they are able to uh, improve a little bit on the defensive side of the ball, show some uh, depth at, at some key positions. And then, of course, if a quarterback you know steps up and, and plays at a pretty high level, this is definitely a team that can contend for a bowl. We expect five wins on average. Six is, is certainly, certainly possible. Seven is certainly possible. But a team that's you know going to be at a talent disadvantage in all but one, uh, conference game. Uh, they, they have a talent edge over Illinois in the Big Ten opener, and then everybody else is a, you know, a, a field goal favorite or more in our talent edge point spread projection. So it's difficult to consistently beat teams that are more talented than you. So I actually, you know, I, I think that we are, uh, though, we, though we actually matched the DraftKings number at five, I, I, I'm glad that we settled on five as the prediction and not six. I think this is a team that could get to a bowl, but I think it's a team that also has a lot of questions. And just, you know, pound for pound, not a lot of talent when you're comparing uh, to the, the teams that they are going to have to beat on their schedule to get to that sixth win in bowl eligibility. Xavier, what do you think of Purdue? Because like uh, Nick said, there's some real talent on this team sprinkled in with, you know, uh, some 
average, I guess, players on this team. <laughs> so uh, Purdue, they, they seem to upset some teams. They seem to be beat by some teams that they're not expected to on occasion. So what do you think about them for 2021? Yeah, I, I, quick side note before I go into it. If you guys don't know, Purdue was able to sign Yanni Karloftis. So we're going to have the Karloftis brothers ah. on the same team. Yeah, uh, you know what I'm saying? Sounds uh, like a law firm. Karloftis, Karloftis. Karloftis. Sounds like for car accidents. But yeah, uh, <laughs> getting into Purdue, I think this is a team that you're absolutely right. You, you hit the nail on the head, Scott. This is a team that churns out like top-tier talent at one position or another. But then it's kind of just surrounded by just okay. And when you put those two things together, I just don't see how they're able to make, you know, make any headway against such a such a weird schedule. You know, they get Notre Dame. So they have they, they have the most ranked teams of any Big Ten team, I believe, on their schedule. They have five. Uh, they, they get Wisconsin, Iowa, Ohio State, Indiana and Notre Dame. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and just call all five of those games losses. Um, I, and I think I would be, I would have to stretch to figure out a way for this team to get bowl eligible. I think Nick did it enough when he was talking about how pos- the possibilities of how they get to bowl eligibility. But for me, I, I just don't see it happening. I, I think this is a team that absolutely though could start the season off three and two. And, and at the very least look like a team that could do it. Their second half of the schedule though, is just really awful for them. Not only do they play, you know, four of their five ranked teams in the second half of the year, they also get, uh, they also have to go to Nebraska. They have to go to Northwestern. They have to go to Ohio state. Uh, they have to go to Iowa. So they also have four out of their six games down the stretch are all road games as well to just add, you know, insult to injury. So I just don't see with, with that being the, with those two things being the case, an opportunity for them to uh, manage the schedule. Well, typically when you're a Purdue, you need those big games at home to possibly even get those upsets. So if we're looking at that, you're thinking about maybe a Wisconsin uh, October 23rd, and you're looking at maybe an Indiana on November 27th. Those will be the two games that you're looking at if you're a Purdue, if you're looking at a fam to possibly get the upset wins because you really do need those games to be at home for you to pull that off. I, I think I'm comfortable saying that this is at least at the bare minimum a four-win ball club, which does obviously lend them to the possibility of getting to that six. I'm just more comfortable saying four and sticking with that number, uh, especially when you recruit as I won't say poorly because Purdue can, is doing the best with what they can, but this past year was one of their worst recruiting classes, ranking 76th and ranking dead last in the Big Ten. Uh, to give you a note, to give an idea, in 2020, they finished 32nd, and in 2022, they already posed for 39th. So I don't know what necessarily if they just struggled with the coaching changes, as Nick was talking about, or if it was just a COVID-type situation where they weren't able to get out and recruit. Uh, but Purdue, for me, is a four-win ball club. I would go with the under when we talk about the Boilermakers. All right, let's go over to... The lowest ranked team in the Big Ten here, and it's Rutgers, the only post 100 team. In fact, uh, Illinois, the runner up here at 91, uh, second lowest. But Greg Schiano went three and six in his first year, in the first year of his second stint with Rutgers, um, matching uh, Rutgers' wins from 2018 19 and their uh, Big Ten win total from 2017 and 2019. So, uh, good year for them at three and six, but you know, still not very impressive. Uh, DK doesn't really have a number for them yet. Not sure why that is, but we've got them at three and nine favorite to win to town edges and four Nick. So, uh, is there just not a number from DK for Rutgers yet? Uh, yeah. When I was looking earlier today, it just wasn't 
it just wasn't listed. So I don't know if they took it off for some reason. I, I haven't, you know, I didn't search it out uh, prior to prepping for, for this show. I know DraftKings is based in New Jersey. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I, you know what? I think that might be it. Yeah, I know it is in some states, so it's, it's possible that that has something to do with it. But, yeah, for whatever reason, uh, we don't have it. And I just did a, I did a quick – uh, look at, at another site and didn't it didn't pop up. So uh, if we, you know, I'm sure there are numbers out there that that we just you know haven't found. But we'll we'll pretend like uh, our number is is the number, I guess, uh, for now. Which for us, you know, 3.8 projected win total. So three and a half uh, would seem to be a fair win total. I would expect right on par with you know Illinois, as you mentioned, was their next closest uh team Rutgers I, I thought was uh, kind of exciting to watch last year and and the expectations were very modest and maybe even you know were, were just really low compared to what we saw uh you know in in or not compared to but but really low based on what we saw in the Chris Ash era uh there was very little reason to be super optimistic they would jump out and, and be as competitive as they were, but three wins uh, in Big Ten play uh, was a, you know, I think a huge uh, step in the right direction for the program under Greg Schiano, and, and to come out immediately with a win against Michigan State, a, a pretty commanding win. I mean, double-digit victory, 97% post-game win expectancy. Uh, they probably should have beat Michigan, had an 80% Postgame win expectancy in that game went to overtime, didn't didn't uh, you know finish uh, the the win, but again maybe something that you can build on a little bit. Lost by three to Illinois, so you certainly think okay that's a that's an opponent that is beatable and and is on the schedule again this year. So I, I think that there certainly is reason to be optimistic about Rutgers. They have a couple of players that I really like, Bo Melton. Uh, is a wide receiver that I think is, you know, has a has all Big Ten potential. He's certainly somebody that should get uh, a lot of targets uh, at Rutgers. Defensively, they've got, I think, some future, you know, some future pros. Uh, Olakunle uh, Futasaki, linebacker, all Big Ten guy, 98-rated player, according to our individual player ratings, had 14 production points last year. Uh, just, you know, put up, a, a, what, 11 tackles for loss, was the leading tackler, had a, 100 tackles. When we think about a, a program, or, you know, Big Ten teams played shortened seasons. Rutgers actually found a way to get nine games in, all nine games in. But triple-digit tackles, you know, pretty pretty impressive. Uh, but was able to get to the quarterback and, and uh, bring him down three times and, and just, you know, uh, all over – all over the field, basically. So he's an exciting player. Mike uh, Tvertov, uh edge rusher, exciting player to watch. They've got a couple of guys in the secondary, very experienced, pretty productive. Avery Young, Christian Eisen. You know, they're they're certainly uh, not just the automatic win that they were in, in the you know previous three to five years. So Rutgers is is certainly a team I think on you know that that positive trajectory i know the recruiting numbers are getting better and better um but 
also we have to guard a little bit about expecting too much too soon. They did get three wins, probably could have gotten, you know, at least one more, whether it's against Michigan or Illinois, but they still ranked 102nd in team performance overall. They ranked 120th in offensive team performance. They ranked 81st in defensive team performance. So those are not, you know, quite the levels you need to be to contend for a bowl bid, which would be the next, you know, the next big step. Yeah, you got off the mat and won a couple of uh, or a few non-conference or excuse me, conference games. Now you throw in the non-conference three winnable games against Temple, Syracuse and Delaware. Hey, three plus three, that gets you to a bowl game. But I, I think we need to slow down on that just a little bit because this still is a program that over the last three years, their weighted team performance uh, rating ranks 120th over the, the five-year window, 123rd. So the reason we, we pull those in, I think we've talked about this before, but there's been some uh, evidence in the past and, and studies to show that the, the most predictive, uh, you know, the, the, the better tool for predicting the next year is not last year. It's a, it's a combination of the last three to five years. So, yeah, there are teams that can jump up and, and completely turn the corner and have a, you know, a great season and, and build upon it and become the next you know, solid program, turn into a consistent winner. But more often than not, you'll get the occasional you know, high or, or low watermark, and then things will more or less uh, you know, revert to the mean. So uh, you know, I, I think that Rutgers does have reason to be optimistic about the future. And bringing back so much, I mean, they rank fifth in our returning production calculations, uh, top 30 on offense, 11th on defense. So there's certainly, you know, reason to think that they will be just as competitive this year. But also there's, I, I think, just a, a little bit of reason to, to not expect too much too soon. So three wins absolutely is possible. Three wins in the non-conference is absolutely possible. Uh, I think to be safe, give them two. Maybe they lose to Syracuse on the road. Then, yeah, they should they should maybe knock off a Big Ten team or, or two. I, I found the number, by the way. It's four and a oh, half. did you? Four and a half. Okay, good. Okay, so so I actually, with the number being four and a half, feel pretty good at the on the under. Yeah. I think four wins is is the ceiling. I think you get three non-conference wins, and then. Yeah, you know, Michigan State might be winnable, Northwestern might be winnable, Illinois might be winnable, maybe Maryland. But I, I think that uh, the odds are in your favor to expect two non-conference wins and at most two Big Ten wins. So I, I, I feel pretty good about the under. Not It wouldn't be, you know, an automatic, yeah, go, go bet it because it's still within one full win of, of our number. But I, I think four wins is the ceiling maybe maybe if i talk long enough i could i could talk myself into five but but i i i think we should uh think that last year was a great start and 2022 you know uh, they'll have to replace some key guys on defense uh and melton as well but i think 2022 we could expect all right maybe then they start to to uh turn around and, and contend for a bowl game but I think 2021 might just be a year too early. Four and eight seems right. 
three and nine actually is, is probably where I would feel comfortable um, predicting. But I, I do like what I saw from Rutgers last year. And I do think that, you know, if they're able to keep the coaching staff together, I like the creativity I saw on offense. Sean Gleason, exciting guy, did some good things at uh, Princeton and then, you know, impressed Mike Gundy enough to hire him at Oklahoma State uh, a little bit ago. So, you know, I think if you can keep that group together, play solid defense, raise the talent level with some improved recruiting, that this is a team that can get back to, you know, year in and year out competing for a bowl. Uh, but I think this year it's it's probably one or two years away and three or four wins is, is more likely, much more likely than five. Yeah. And Xavier, you know, we found the total of four and a half, but uh, you know, it's still Rutgers. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, what are the games are going to win here? Uh, Temple, uh, they got a chance, right? Right. Uh, Delaware. And I'm not real sure about the other one. Maybe Syracuse. Uh, maybe they'll I'm, hang I'm tight with the Michigan State, Northwestern, Illinois, Maryland. The, may, maybe they play one of those close, but that's still getting them to four. They got to win two of those games. So I just don't see uh, where it happens for. And them. you said it was four and a half, correct? Yes, four and a half. Yeah, I'd be betting the under. Uh, I I just think that when when you when you look at their schedule, like you said, I think they can go three and zero to start the year off. Though I, I'll give them that much. And heck. Who knows? Maybe Michigan's so much so bad at the moment that they beat Michigan. Hey, we want Harbaugh fired. Should we get him fired? Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like you, the closer you get him fired is the closer he uses he loses to Rutgers. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, and I think they, I think they'll beat Illinois. Yes, I think they'll beat Illinois. Um, and then Maryland is a toss up. I think they can beat Maryland at home to end the year. That gives them six. They're, they're going to need an upset in there. They're going to absolutely need a game where they're, the, they're where they're a significant underdog for them to get there. But who's to say Northwestern is as good as we think they could be? Northwestern could be awful. They could be better though, too. Yeah, we, we have Northwestern eighty eighth. We don't we don't think they're going to be great, <laughs> right? <laughs> and they could. I, I like, think it's more likely they're better than that number than they're worse. Yeah, I think so. I think we might be a little low on Northwestern, but I still feel. But anyway, yeah, but I feel like uh, Northwestern yeah. is a, a crapshoot because they could be yeah. they, they could be four, five and you know five and seven, or they could be you know eight and four, and we're like, well, it's Northwestern. You never really know, do you? So I mean, it's it's it, I could think it go. I think that it could go either way. I think having a funny enough, I think having a bye week before Illinois gives me more of uh, a reason to pick Rutgers going into that game. Uh, you know, more time to prepare for Illinois is is can be a bad thing. Um, so I, I, I don't see why at the very least they can't make it interesting and get to like five, which would put them over. Um, you know, I, I think they could do so. Like I said, I think they could start off the year three and oh, they could beat Illinois after their bye week. And then last game of the season, whoever bets the over on their four and a half, them versus Maryland at home. There you go. That, that, that adds intrigue. You know what? I'm going to put money on it. Let's oh. do it. I, 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 I'm going to put money on it. So I, so I have a reason. So I have even more of a reason to watch. Maryland v Rutgers at the end of the season. Well, yeah, if Rutgers neat. at that point has won that many games, now, now you're the Rutgers guy. I yeah, just want to let you know, yeah. you're the Rutgers. Yeah, guy. That's why I will never I be the UMass guy. I, I said it was going to be the you know an interesting game to watch one week. I wasn't putting my hard-earned cash on uh, on Rutgers, so that's very interesting. Anything else say, on Rutgers? Well, I will say I, I 
I you make a great point about the the bye week before Illinois, and it's not that Northwestern or Illinois have uh, you know raucous home field environments or anything like that. But I would feel better about your position if you weren't on the road for both of those games. Uh, I get it. And, and, you know, at Syracuse, I know our expectations of Syracuse are very low, but I, I, I think if those are three games that you have to win to get the bowl eligibility, it's tough to win all three on the road. Uh, I could, I, you, you did a good job of, uh, you know, uh, of making me see the possibility but I still, I, I I would feel much much more comfortable in your position if the the home schedule uh, was a little more favorable. That that you know having those games that you need to win all three be on the road. That's that's tough. I will say this now. Let me add this point in. I got two points for Rutgers. Does Rutgers just stay in Illinois and give themselves three weeks of opportunity? I mean, they play Northwestern by week, Illinois both based in Illinois, instead of having to leave and come back. So there's no travel worries in that situation. You just go ahead and practice the week, the next, the following week, have your classes so online. College, dude. It's so college. I think they go home. Maybe. I, that, that would be a pro thing to do. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. People with well, guys on California trips, they stay. Are well, Rutgers going to stay for, uh, pay for hotels for two weeks? Come on. There, there were some scenarios last year where, you know, I, I think there might have been – uh, a situ- I mean, I know some people were, were unable to play and practice at their normal home place, and, and uh, certainly, hopefully, we're not in that sort of position. I, I think it would need to take something like that maybe for that to happen. I feel like two weeks is kind of – if it weren't a uh, bye week in between, maybe you could convince – because that's, you know, that's about as long of a trip uh, in conference play as, as it gets in the Big Ten side. But, but yeah, I think I think that's too long of a – uh, to be there for two full weeks, basically. Okay, that's cool. And lastly, I'll say this. Rutgers is definitely trending upwards on a recruiting trail. They jumped 19 spots in 2021 from 61st nationally to 42nd. And I know it's early in the recruiting trail, and, and I preface that because obviously things change. But currently speaking, Rutgers is ranked 15th in the country in recruiting. Just putting that out there. Damn. Yeah. just I'm just – so at the very least – that's what he you does. Know, at the very least, they would you would think that they maybe fall into the top thirty-five. At the very least, keep themselves around that 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 top forty range. And uh, yeah, I'm just gonna say this to end it. This is the guy that uh, Tennessee wrote on a rock to say that they didn't want him there. Just had to get my my, my Tennessee <laughs> quote out of the way. Uh, all right, so let's go over to the last team in the Big Ten, number twelve ranked Wisconsin, and they look like a title contender uh, in their two and zero start. But the offense created. Uh, cratered in a three-game losing skid uh, in midseason, and they finished four and three. Uh, their DK total is nine and a half. We have them at ten and two, favored to win all twelve. Talent edges in only nine, though, Nick. So, uh, what do we think about the Badgers for twenty twenty one? I'm I'm a little nervous about that favored in all twelve regular season. To, to be quite honest with you, uh, Wisconsin is certainly a team. Similar, I could repeat a lot of the same things I said about a team like Iowa, where the roster strength numbers are not near, you know, Ohio State levels, not really even on par with Penn State or or in most seasons, Michigan. But they are trending 
in the right direction. Spent a lot of time talking about how things were trending in the wrong direction for Michigan and, and Nebraska, teams like that. Well, Wisconsin is, you know, at least making some progress, uh, posting what three straight, according to our recruiting strength numbers, uh, three state straight top 25 classes and last year, a top 15 class. So, uh, that's, that's solid. I mean, the, 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 uh, talent on hand is certainly, uh, at a higher level than it was a decade ago. Um, but you know, Wisconsin is, is consistently been a team somewhat similar to Iowa where they play up uh, more often than not and get a little bit more out of lower rated guys, whether they're able to get that diamond in the rough type player or develop, uh, you know, mid three-star guys, or even the occasional, you know, two-star or unranked guy into at least a solid Big Ten contributor and occasionally, you know, NFL draft picks, future all pros have come through Wisconsin uh, being unrated or, or, or uh, severely under-recruited type players. So they're, you know, if they're able to still develop players at that sort of rate, uh, then you have to think, okay, well, if they're getting – a more talented player, you know, as they sign out out of high school, then it makes sense that they're climbing up our power ratings. I mean, twelfth in our power rankings is is pretty uh, pretty strong company. I mean, we're talking about not very far from playoff contention. There, uh, you would think that you know there are four spots, and they're probably what at least twelve uh, teams that could get there at least i would i would think so you know wisconsin is is maybe in that conversation but knowing that the the talent level still isn't quite what we would expect from a playoff team yet i am a little bit nervous about uh having them favored in in every game and i know there are some fairly close ones they're only uh you know they're they're less than a single point in a neutral site game pseudo home game but we count it as a neutral site game uh, against Notre Dame, they are single digits uh, against Penn State. Less than a, a field, or excuse me, less than a touchdown. Less than a touchdown against Iowa. The big thing is getting both of those at home because they would be underdogs in both of those games, or, or they'd be, I mean, right at uh, Pickums basically both of those if they were on the road. So that scheduling sets up really, really well for them. Uh, not having to go to South Bend, you know, sets up pretty well for them. Uh, getting Michigan at home, even though Michigan, you know, they've dominated recently. Uh, getting Rutgers in a crossover is, is you know, about as, as good as you could hope for. So uh, the schedule I love for Wisconsin. The fact that the talent is on the rise to the point where, you know, they have a talent edge in all but three games. And even those three are within, you know, projected single score games. They would be an underdog against Penn State, Notre Dame, and Michigan if the only thing we were looking at was talent. And then, you know, the stats model, as could be expected, really loves Wisconsin because they consistently play at a high level. Last year they were 31st in uh, team performance, but that three-year weighted average is 15th, and that five-year weighted average is 8th. So on, on average, the last five years, uh, they have been a top 10 team when you look at, you know, the, the subset of, of stats, advanced stats most of the time, 
that we are are looking at. So they are consistently solid. They play top 10 defense on an almost annual basis, including last year. Um, they are they are a very, very solid team with a very uh, manageable schedule. All that said, I'm a little concerned about all the injury reports so far. Uh, Jalen Berger, their leading running back, leading rusher last year, has been a bit banged up. I think he is back at practice now, but maybe not uh, full speed. They've got their uh, projected starting left tackle, returning starting left tackle with a, a leg injury. He's questionable for week one. There are you know other bumps and bruises of, of guys on the two deep uh, here and there, basically scattered throughout the depth chart. So, you know, there are a couple of guys in the uh, running back room, a a receiver a little farther down the line, a couple of linebackers, edge rusher types. So hopefully, you know, that's just early fall camp bumps and bruises won't be anything major, but uh, just something I think to to keep an eye on. Wisconsin doesn't play the most exciting style of football, certainly. They're going to try to play good defense, run the football, they do have Graham Mertz, who really lit it up, at least in that first game, finished strong in the bowl game, but needs to be much, much, much more consistent uh, for this team to, to reach its uh, you know, level of, of potential, that playoff potential, Big Ten title contending team potential that I, I do think they have. Um, but uh, I, I'm, like I said, nervous that we do have them favored in every game. Uh, especially because I was pretty high on Iowa uh, coming in into the year, but I do think that that Wisconsin, with that game being at home and a you know little little fewer uh, question marks personnel wise, or at least a little more raw talent maybe to work with, Wisconsin's in a a very very good spot. We do have nine and a half wins right on the dot as our projection. But I feel comfortable rounding that up to 10 and 2, 7 and 2 in conference play. And then, quite honestly, uh, you know, going 8 and 1 in conference play is, is certainly a possibility. That Notre Dame game could go either way. So 10 and 2 seems about right. But this is a team that on the right day, I think would be the best bet to knock off Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. I think they. I think they probably do match up a little bit better with Ohio State than Iowa does. And therefore, if, if Wisconsin can get through, beat Iowa, win their side of the Big Ten, you know, they're, they're maybe going to have an opportunity to do that. If they do somehow get through 11-1 and one and then put themselves in a position to, to uh, upset Ohio State, then this, you know, there's definitely a playoff path for Wisconsin even if they have one loss. So uh, a lot to play for this year. I know they don't have that elite, you know, blue chip ratio type talent that we talk about with playoff contenders. But if there's any year where a team that's, you know, maybe got a little less raw talent, but heavy on uh, experience and, and things like that, you know, maybe maybe Wisconsin is a team that can thrive in a year like that. So uh, I'm pretty pretty high on Wisconsin. Nine and a half is a lot, but I think this is a 10-win team for sure. And Xavier, I mean, you know, th- this may not be the best Wisconsin team we've ever seen, but this schedule is very favorable, and like Nick yes. said, lots of experience. 
Yeah. And I genuinely think for me, like I said, I alluded to it when I was talking about Penn State. Graham Mertz has got to take that next step. You know, this team is, you know, like you said, it's not maybe the most talented team we've ever seen with Wisconsin walk out there. But it's still a very talented team. I think it hinges on his performances week in and week out. You know, you, you could just look at their schedule last year. When he got better, they won games. You know, down the stretch, he played better. He was more he was safer with the bat, with the football. And on top of that, if you watch down the stretch of last year, they kind of pulled the reins on him a little bit. He, you know, he went from throwing 40 passes in a loss to Northwestern, four almost 40 passes in a loss to Iowa and then to Indiana, excuse me. And then the next two games, 20 passes, 17 passes. So they tie, they, they kind of tightened the reins a little bit and, uh, and allowed him you know, the, the opportunity to kind of just watch the game as he was, or excuse me, manage the game better. And I think that really helped his confidence out down the stretch. I think going into this year, you probably will see that's kind of how they start the year off. They'll probably have the reins a little bit tighter going into that Penn State matchup, maybe, you know, and, and allow him to build his confidence uh, throughout the first couple of games. I think the one thing I will say that's a negative, obviously, is I hate early bye weeks. It really lends you to just having to go, you know, they have to play 10 straight games. That's just a lot. I, I, I don't care who you are, how talented you are. Playing 10 straight football games and that kind of physical toll that takes on the team can lend to you being, you know, sluggish in a performance here or there. We don't really have that reset or recharge button to hit midway through the year like most teams do. Especially in the one area, and this it's kind of a trap area for me that I don't necessarily like, is uh, October 16th through the 30th. They play Army, Purdue, Iowa. That Army game, playing a weird offense and having to prepare for that. And the very next week, you have to go into what has been a hotbed for – well, I won't say a hotbed, but has been a place where upsets happen in Purdue. Could be a weird type of situation there all before having to play Iowa with playing your homecoming game against Iowa on October 30th. Iowa definitely knows that's their homecoming game. It's already circled. It's on the bulletin board. Whenever you are the team that you are placed as you know their homecoming game, it pisses you off because you're expecting that that's supposed to be an easy win, quote unquote, and everybody's supposed to have a good time and go party after the win. That's not going to happen that week. Iowa's going to come in there and try to ruin their homecoming for all intents and purposes. So I don't necessarily like that 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 subsection of their uh, of their schedule. I think outside of that, they can really run through it. I think Rutgers, Northwestern, Nebraska, Minnesota down the stretch. I think that's going to be very favorable favorable for them. And it's like I said, if Graham Mertz can take that next step. Wisconsin's going to be a team to be reckoned with all season long. You know, we've talked about the talent going into last year. He just wasn't able to show it on full display. Uh, and I think that, you know, like I said, maybe too much responsibility was given to him in that offense to start the year off. And you definitely saw the struggle bus that he was on to start the year off uh, because of it. I think in year two with a full off season, that's the other thing for me. You know, I, I believe Graham Mertz. Yeah, he's a true sophomore. So he didn't really get a full off season last year to kind of prepare. Uh, you know, when, when he kind of comes in and he doesn't have the same kind of time to prepare like everybody else would, I think that also hurts him a little bit or hurt him last year. So this year I expect better from Graham Mertz. I expect better from Wisconsin. And this is absolutely a team I would bet the over. Or no, actually. I, thought a, <laughs> I was going to say, saw, you kind of, you kind of, I thought. I saw a, the a, nine. <laughs> I saw the nine. It was still loading, and then it said half. I said, hmm, that, 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 yeah. <laughs> trying to convince myself, yeah, let's go under because I just don't I, – I think because right, I can't sit at nine, because I can't sit at nine, I think you go under because I think nine is a, is a more favorable number than if I had to say, oh, yeah, they're going to be only an eight-win ball club. I think they'll be better than eight. 
dodge. I was, was going to say you did a you did a pretty good job of poking a lot of holes in in some things I was feeling pretty good about with Wisconsin. A couple other teams <laughs> tonight too, as well. So it, you know, I, I was looking back uh, because I I did feel optimistic about Wisconsin, and then I would remember just feel you know felt optimistic about Penn State and and other teams. I was wondering were we too high or was I too high on a lot of these teams, but you know, we are uh, really low on Northwestern. And then I did remember thinking I, I was happy that we were on uh, the lower side of uh, who was it? Maryland. No, we're higher. On, I don't know. I, I, I'm a little worried that maybe our projections are a little high on some of the big 10 teams. And that's going to, that's going to mean that they just have to dominate non-conference play to, to reach a lot of these overs other than Northwestern. Um, just something that was going through my mind as we we're wrapping up here that like, man, I was kind of optimistic about a lot of these teams <laughs> mm-hmm. felt, felt like, and then, and then Xavier brought me down to earth on a, on at least a couple Wisconsin. And then he wanted to go over. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that, yeah, yeah no, that's yeah. what Xavier does, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Jabs you I'm with the right and, and hammers you with the left. Right. Yes. I, I am the politician of this podcast. That's fine. <laughs> yes. I will take that title. Fence sitting, fence sitting, but uh, that will wrap it up for the Big Ten. And we only have one more of these left. One more. Uh, the SEC should be coming more. up on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday this week for you. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And then we'll be talking about the uh, week zero games after that. So, uh, here. yeah, the season is right here, it is upon Christmas. us. So uh, make sure you are checking us out whenever you get a chance. And uh, follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me at CFP Winning Edge for Nick at Xavier underscore Tristier I C H E for Xavier, and we will see you guys in a couple days. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit Patreon.com/slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.